Hello again, friends, and you are my friends, and welcome back to another edition of 605, the Super Podcast, this being our annual Labor Day Star Wars extravaganza, and to kick things off, joining me here on the show, did I say my name? I'm not sure. I'm the great Brian Last. Joining me here on the show to start things out, and of course, the way it works is we add various co-hosts and guests from the show, and we have a freewheeling, often unwieldy conversation right here on the program and minimal editing and we'll see how that works out because joining me here on the show we have two very special guests on the line first he's a very popular co-host as well as the noted wrestling humorist scott cornish (laughs) scott welcome back to star wars oh glad to be here this is the labor day tradition now that uh the jerry lewis labor day telethon has uh hit the skids (laughs) well I guess that's how you can refer to his death. He hit the skids, but we no, well, he, he he got he got dumped a couple of years before he even died. And uh, I'm old enough to remember that, that when that thing was like the pinnacle of show business <laughs> every Labor Day, he really would get the cream of the crop. And then as I watched it, as I got older and he got older and we all got older, the show became just the the, the the dregs of uh, showbiz oh, yeah. humanity. Yeah, in New York, uh, you were lucky if you got Mario Perillo as a guest. <laughs> but hey, I want to talk more about this, but let's open up the conversation a little more. Yes. Also on the show, a man with a great track record here on Star Wars. Every time he appears, a natural disaster is transpiring somewhere in the country of the United States. Last time it was an earthquake, he was going through, telling his wife to calm down. <laughs> and this time... Apparently, Howard Baum and several of our people in Florida are about to get ready for hurricane force winds or something of the like. And that, of course, is your friend and mine, the late Dan Farron. Dan, welcome back to the program. Thank you very much. Wait till you see what I have planned for Thanksgiving Star Wars. It's going to be locust. (laughs) Yeah. Turkeys coming down from the sky. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Dan, any thoughts on the Jerry Lewis telethon? You know, various territories would have their wrestlers appear on the local broadcast. Dick the Bruiser would appear on the Indianapolis version of the Jerry Lewis telethon. By the time I was growing up, I knew that it was this Hollywood thing. It was this, I shouldn't even say Hollywood. I knew it was was this tradition and you would get kind of the glitzy Hollywood crowd, but it was the glitzy Hollywood crowd from a little bit of an older generation than me. So I would try to watch it, but it was always tough to find anything really entertaining on there. What do you think about the Jerry Lewis telethon? I hated it because it meant that the <laughs> summer was over and I had to go back to school. That's what it basically, and oftentimes <laughs> it had the very next day, you know. Um, but uh, it was a tradition for the longest time. Uh, I don't remember any wrestlers, uh, at least on this end, out here appearing because by that time Los Angeles was dead and buried. Uh, there was nothing going on out here. But no, it was true. In the beginning, this was some, this big thing. It was like, 12, 24 hours, whatever the heck it was, you know, and, and, and there was all these, these big stars they would save and they would do this stuff. And then by the, the last couple of years before Jerry got bounced on it, whatever, it was like, uh, you know, we're in, in Laughlin and we have Bob Johnson, the knife thrower. I mean, it was that kind of, it was, it was down to people no one ever heard yeah. of. I heard my wife one time and said, oh my God, I'm only like about four inches away from being famous enough to be on this telephone now at this point. And that's how bad it was. It became the telethon from UHF, where it was just like any yeah. freak show oh, yeah. could get on the air. Right. It was rough, and it was 24 hours. Jerry Lewis would stay awake for 24 hours, 
This man was not on speed. But uh, <laughs> Scott, any thoughts? Well, he cheated uh, in later years, poor Jerry, as he got on in years. Uh, he'd be out for the first hour or two, and then he would sort of disappear for the longest period of time. And they'd just use pre-taped pieces and things like that. And then they'd bring him back sparingly in different things. But just, I mean, everybody's heard about his behavior <laughs> behind the scenes. There's got to be an entire book of just telethon stories alone about uh, Jerry Lewis backstage on those things. I hope somebody gets a chance to write it. But I do remember a clip that's been up on YouTube and then taken down off of YouTube uh, during the peak of the WWF boom years where uh, Bobby Heenan and Randy Savage are on the telethon with Jerry Lewis. And uh, Randy Savage isn't everything particularly great to say, but it's funny, as you can almost imagine, Bobby Heenan is on fire. And it's just, he, he's very, he doesn't say anything terribly insulting, except he keeps confusing Jerry Lewis with Jerry Lee Lewis. And, and, and uh, on purpose. And, and Jerry cannot keep up with Heenan. He just is sort of sitting there, you know, in what kind of a daze you can only imagine. But uh, as far as I know, it's not currently up on YouTube, but I hope it, it turns up again. Very funny clip. Boy, you want to talk about cheap heat, though. Jerry Lewis is the king <laughs> of cheap heat. I mean, you know, things are getting bad. We're not making enough money. Let's wheel the kids out and make them parade around in a circle again. I mean, oh, I mean, just basically doing everything he possibly can to guilt people into sending money. Yeah, it was, it was something. Like I said, there, there was a time when it was just the state-of-the-art show business. It was such an amazing, you know, and yeah. John, Johnny and Sinatra and all these people. Wayne Newton at the time was, was quite a hit. And then I don't know. Because he kept making more money year after year after year. The telethon would somehow surpass the previous year almost every year. And yet it just got worse and worse in terms of, you know, when you're when you're left with a note, no offense to the guy itself, but when when your your top guy is like a Norm Crosby in, in <laughs> the early two thousands. I, I don't know what you say to that, but it 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 Went from must-see TV to just just watching for all the wrong reasons <laughs> by the end of it. And I miss it. I actually do. Not that I would sit and listen to it. Uh, as a kid, you wanted to watch as much as possible, or I did, because I was yeah. a weird kid. I would watch and just wait. Like, something good has to happen at some point. This is on every year. People watch it. And it seemed like I never tuned in whenever the good shit happened. <laughs> right. I never. It was, and then they would go to the local feed, and then it would get really, really bad. <laughs> yeah, the Ramones were on once from the from the New York feed, but they didn't interact with Jerry Lewis, sadly. And Jerry was really bad at sometimes he when he got really <laughs> tired and and doped up or whatever. Um, right. yeah. He would he would he would start insulting like some of the corporate sponsors. I mean, I remember <laughs> they had Mickey Mouse, a guy in a Mickey Mouse costume on there presenting a check, and Jerry keeps yelling, "Get the rat out of the way! Get the rat out of the way!" You know, during that entire. I mean, it was it was like it was cringeworthy. It was it's it's like let's take a guy and watch him disintegrate on TV for twenty four hours. <laughs> Ah, precious memories.
<laughs> yeah. All the good old days. I wish I there think. were more stories, though, like, you know, Bruno San Martino appearing, or even better, Lou Albano appearing, like, when he was a heel still. And drinking <laughs> still. Like, that would have been the local television I like. That's the kind of stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm sure there's examples of that, but, of course, it all went out there into the ether. It's weird, you know, have you listened to uh, last week's Arezzi show yet, Scott? Yes, I have. Where Mitch Seinfeld's talking about when he was on, and I've never seen this episode, the Morton Downey Jr. episode where right. it's the second wrestling episode. He's on there saying how wrestling needs to be regulated and their need. Oh, actually, I forget if that was his argument per se, but it, it was about the whole deregulation thing that was in the news at that period of time, early 89, because Vince McMahon tried to get the New Jersey State Athletic Commission to uh, deregulate wrestling, and they did. And he got like attacked by Lou Albano and Davey O'Hannon and a few other people. And I'm thinking, I'm like, man, Lou Albano was all over TV at that period of time in the late 80s. And he took every side of it because here on this show, apparently, he was defending Vince McMahon. And then on other shows, he would say bad things about Vince McMahon. And then a few months later, he's Super Mario all over <laughs> the place, Lou Albano. Scott, I know you're a big Albano fan. Any thoughts on that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I, would, I, I hope that that episode still turns up. But it, it sounds like they went with the same cast of characters that they had from the first Morton Downey Jr. Uh, show because I think they said Tony Altimore shows up on that. And is Dennis on the second show or? or I, I believe know. he was there, but I don't know if he appeared on. Again, I've never seen the footage of it. Right. Oh I, well, it'll turn up someday. I'm sure. I found a a, a WWF promotional photo of uh, Morton Downey Jr. recently. I'll <laughs> send that over to you. Very very strange to remember that. That that same kind of thing, not just the wrestling episodes, but just his brief window into uh, into fame. You know. So wait, you got a promo photo from his appearance at WrestleMania five? No, I I saw it somewhere, someplace that did a whole gallery of old WWF promo photos. You know, just about everybody, right down to the announcers, just about everybody that that ever worked there had promotional photos taken. And there's one really appalling one of, uh, <laughs> well, it's a terrific photo of him because it really captures him, but just a brash, obnoxious, big mouth photo of Morton Downey Jr. But put out by them, it's got their logo on it and everything in conjunction with his uh, WrestleMania appearance too, which unfortunately, by the time he, by the time he made it to WrestleMania, the, <laughs> the whole Morton Downey thing was so over. It just... <laughs> Piper made it into something fun, but oh, what a long segment. Like I said, I think the Morton Downey Jr. uh, fad had really faded by that point. Yeah, and it was a waste of Piper. It was Piper's first appearance in years. And it was Piper, brother love, and Morton Downey Jr. in the middle of Uh Trump Plaza, a building with just no atmosphere whatsoever. Yeah. It was not. And that was the same night Run DMC bombed in front of that crowd (laughs) with their WrestleMania rap. Yeah, that whole segment was. Brother, can you imagine Brother Love, Morton Downey, and Piper? They should have added Trump to that. That would have. <laughs> <laughs> he was in the front row. If you watch those shows, he's in the front row. He reacts to nothing. Oh, never. He, that must have been pure agony for him. <laughs> they have to sit through those things. I don't know. Dan, did we scare you <laughs> off? No, no. I'm just saying, what I'm doing is I'm laying low because I, I don't know which of the hours you're going to cut out and I'm trying to hold back the material for the right one. So that way, 
so that way later on, you know, because uh, I mean, I know, I know what your trick is now. Uh, last, what you're doing is that you're you're coming out and saying, "Oh, the first hour was horrible. I don't think I'll put it up." And then everybody goes nuts and says, "No, I want to hear the first hour." Then you string together a three-hour show and you got big ratings. That's how this thing works. I know it may have worked that way once, but I don't know if it'll work that way. Dan, <laughs> <laughs> you're on the West Coast. Morton Downey Jr. Who do you pick, Morton Downey Jr. or Wally George? Oh boy! Well, see, there was a there was a difference there. At least I think that that Morton Downey Jr. at least had a game plan. I think he at least knew where he was headed or what he was trying to do. And in fact, early on, Morton Downey appeared a couple times on Wally George before he became uh, quote unquote famous. Uh, and uh, Wally Wally was really pretty well clueless. I mean, he really never really had any idea of, of, of what was going on at any time. And I think the people that ran his show were the people who would set him up with stuff and he would just go for it. And uh, he even at one point was so popular that they had a live call-in show at one o'clock in the afternoon on, on KDOC out here where people, Wally would come on and talk about what was going on that day and people would, would phone in. And of course, whenever you put a, you know, a phone in, in people's hands and let them call Wally George, they spent most of the time bleeping people and cutting them off or whatever. And, and Wally would never be quick enough on the uptake to tell what was a gay fo- uh, phone call or whatever. And that that's the stuff that I wish there was more of that existed because some of that stuff was hysterical. He had no idea. Uh, that that people were putting him on at first, or uh, or doing stuff like that. That's what that's what made it really really interesting. Because Wally, poor old Wally, just didn't have any idea what was going on. He was just along for the ride. He had started out as a sidekick on uh, a former mayor of Los Angeles, Sam Yorty's show out here, and uh, he was he was just like this toady type character. And he took it and he built it from there. And uh, and he was always very very bitter. He used to always insult uh morton downey on the air uh, of how mad he was that he stole my act and he used to refer to it as an act and you know the other interesting thing is when morton downey left san francisco he was replaced on the radio by rush limbaugh who needed a new act and he took the morton downey jr act because he was just a dj at that yeah. period of time well you can you can go back way far back in in tv history i mean the, you know there were guys like joe pine in the 1960s and, and other guys like that who just figured out, you know, like like with wrestling, you get on the air and you start screaming about things and calling people names or whatever, and people flock to that stuff to listen to it. Well, it's interesting to hear that Wally George start well, like a lot of those shows probably started out as a a shoot to use wrestling terminology because every clip yeah. I ever saw that it looked like a total a total BS, you know, it just looked like a total gag yeah. where everybody was just sort of play acting and shouting at each other. Yeah, they had a lot of shows like that out out here from time to time. They at one at one point they decided uh, in the early seventies it would be a great idea to take Mort Saul, who was a, a comedian and, and liberally bent, and put him on a show with a guy named George Putnam, who was a conservative uh, newscaster, who was actually supposedly the the person that Ted Knight based um, um, uh, his character on the Mary Tyler Moore Show on. Wow. Uh, uh, on, on basically in George Putnam and they would get on and they would have a studio audience and they would talk about things and then you could just tell at some point that Putnam was there to uh, just to, to make you know people mad and, and so this this whole thing goes back to you know um, it, it it still all goes back to wrestling. It's it's still all carny type stuff. I mean, it's it's let's get sure. a couple people out there from the, the show is called Both Sides now, 
and they would get out there and, and they would, and, you know, some of the audience would say, oh, you know, you're an idiot. No, you're an idiot. I mean, this, 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 people think this is something brand new that happens with uh, social media and television now, but that stuff's been going on since the 1950s. Yeah, I, I mean, of course, we saw that same thing happen with Jerry Springer and he had his moment in the sun and all that. And as as somebody who watches wrestling as much as I do, I don't know why that always bothered me that that thing was, you'd, I'd watch something like that or like the reality shows of today and go, oh, that's so fake there. <laughs> I know. That really annoys me I had a, how, how fake this thing is. Or like Hogan's old uh, so-called reality show, Hogan Knows Best. That used to infuriate me because I said, this is absolute bullshit. And I said, wait a minute. <laughs> Hold on a second. <laughs> the, whole, the whole thing I like is, is uh, you know. A little hard well, that's to the whole out. thing with, with any kind of, the, of these reality shows. They do that all the time. I was up in the balcony one time of a, of a, of a theater, and they were interviewing people for uh, Last Comic Standing. And they would sit them down, they would talk to them, and they would say something. And then the guy would say, oh, listen, you know, this guy said that you're, he thought you were a hack and you were horrible. What do you want to say about that? And then the guy would respond, and then he would say, don't you think you ought to be a little more angry about that? I mean, it was basically they were they were just prompting them all the way through. Uh, there's nothing real about reality television. Never, ever, ever. Well, the Springer show really got big on the wrestling bug. I mean, everyone knows by this point. Yeah. And it started at first. It started like I think with some serious things. Like they had Razor Ramon on to give like a sick mm-hmm. kid the Intercontinental Belt, and then eventually it just yeah. became like, hey, this guy works in Tennessee. Let's see if we can pay him. They come up here and claim that, you know, he got some girl pregnant or something. Scott, do you know anything about yeah. that? Did Greg Greenland get involved with that? With the Springer show? <laughs> yeah, he appeared on the he he appeared on the Springer show and so did our friend the late uh, Harry White. White. Yeah. Yeah. Harry was hilarious. And Greg was good too, because they both said the experience of doing the show and what went on backstage was far more fascinating and far more bizarre than the uh, the worked uh, thing that made the air. They said, because most of the people that went on that show really were crazy, crazy fans and crazy fans of the show and, and uh, outrageous, weird characters that just wanted to be on TV. And they said, one of, one of the, both said, uh, one of the things that they would respect you for was to say, was to tell them outright, if they, the understanding was you were going to come on, they were going to give you a framework of who your character was and what your particular problem or what your role was, you know, and then things were going to go like they usually go, arguments or fights or what have you. Um, but they said they would respect you for out and out saying, you know, I won't do this, I won't do that, you know, other other than that. Because they said most of these crazy people that would go on Springer would say, I love this show. I'll do anything to be on this show. And that's how you'd get this mm-hmm. insane stuff going on. You know, they'd say, oh, well, then you're you're a, you're a grown man that dresses in a diaper. And, you know, <laughs> so so both Greg and Harry uh, both were specific in saying, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. I want, you know, and so forth. And they both said that having several days or several weeks of Springer Show guests all locked into a room where they were all allowed to smoke inside this enclosed room. They said the green room was the real show. They said you should have just filmed the green room 
and uh, and forget about uh, the the stage version of the of the Springer show. And then I remember at some point they were using people like, uh, oh, Jamie Dundee was like a was like a guest oh. coordinator. You could imagine they used him several times as a guest and also to wrangle other people. No big surprise, you know, from the from from the from the circus world or the wrestling world or the carnival world to come on there as guests. Just uh, absolutely crazy. I remember yeah, I watching actually Springer had a friend. And, and being, I'm sorry, Dan. I remember watching Springer and just being like, huh? I can't believe this shit is airing in the morning on TV and no one makes a stink about it. And then they all made a stink yeah. about it. But anyway, Dan, what were you going to say? <laughs> oh, no, I started to say, I actually I have a friend who uh, was in an improv class and they contacted the improv class and they said Springer would like to bring two people in um, and we'll give them different scenarios and, and they can wing it. Can, do we have anybody that can do that? I mean, that's what it got down to toward, toward the end. They sure. were, they were bringing in ringers at some point just to, you know, say, can you, it's, it's kind of like uh, when I was, they called me up one time when I was um, as a, an imposter on, on the, one of the uh, variation uh, remakes of to tell the truth. And they said to me, um, do you think you can BS about movies or falafels? Which one would you rather do? You know, okay, so I'll, I'll, I'll take silent movies. Okay, fine. And you, and they bring you in, and they train you, and they work with you, and that's and that's kind of what they do on these, some of these reality shows. They sit you down, and they go over everything, and they tell you what they want, and and how to how to play the game, and how to do it. And that's 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 what they do in these reality shows. That's why I always laugh when people get so worked up over The Bachelor and stuff, uh, or any of those kind of shows, because I mean the whole thing is is just so set up. I mean uh, wrestling. You know, wrestling booking is sometimes more subtle than a lot of these reality shows. Just for uh, just for my purposes, who were your celebrities when you were on To Tell the Truth? Oh boy, you're gonna love this. Well, the host at that point was uh, John O'Hurley, who was Mr. Peterman on uh, Seinfeld, Seinfeld. and uh, we had Meesatch Taylor from uh, Golden Girls. Uh, we had Hattie Winston, who was on. Uh, uh, the TV show Becker, and I think she was also on uh, The Electric Company at one point, uh, had a soap opera guy that I am not familiar with, and uh, Brooke Burns from uh, from uh, Baywatch. Uh, no, it's either Brooke Burns or Brooke Brooke. I, can't, I, get, I can't get confused which one it was. It was the blonde hair one that broke her neck several years ago. That's the only <laughs> way I remember it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, celebrity, celebrities was, was kind of putting it nicely. Dan, how many different talk shows slash panel shows have you actually appeared on? Or, or game shows, I guess you should say. Well, game shows, I game shows I did to tell the truth. And then I also did one. Uh, I just put this up recently on my, on, my, on my Facebook page because I ran across some old pictures. One, I did one against uh, 100, which was a miserable experience. Um, and I did I did the very first... VH1 game show called My Generation. I remember that. Uh, yeah, you remember that? It was it was always two people from one year against the two people from another year, and uh, we went in to do that, and it was so weird because uh, we were winning all the way through to the end, and then all of a sudden, the, the, the they had this all pair and another guy who sold insurance, and the guy who sold insurance woke up during the bonus round and like got every question right. 
And I don't, I can't find the show anymore, but I swear to God, at one point when it was over, after we had been defeated, I turned to my partner and I mouthed the words like, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> uh, because we were so far ahead at that point. And they gave us, let's see, they, I got, um, I, I got uh, uh, some pens, some fancy pens that uh, VH1 was putting out, and uh, I got a pair of inline roller skates, uh, which is something you want to give a man who was over 40 at that point, is a pair of inline roller. I tried to sell those things three times on eBay, and nobody would ever buy them. I mean, that's that's how bad they were. Perhaps if you throw in some so fancy did, pens. <laughs> that, that, well, the pens are actually kind of nice. Uh, I did those and then uh i i for a while actually because i was on a list they would call me in to uh to do run-throughs and they would pay me uh you know in the to test out new game shows uh, i think i i think i actually did the the early testing of uh, uh pressure luck with the whammy thing i thought this will never work uh that shows how much i knew um but you know i would come in and do those kind of things or and, and stuff like that uh, but the one versus a hundred was the, the the one that uh, was the worst because I spent two days there and made thirty five dollars. Everything one is broke one down. Versus, and, which one is one versus 100? It was one, a hundred? The British lady. People. No, okay. No, that was uh, no. This was one that was Bob Saget uh, hosted this one, and it was a hundred people, and uh, and then one person, and they would ask a question, and. Uh, the person would answer it, and then they would eliminate who, uh, in the 100 portion whoever got it wrong. And the trick was if they got all the way down to is she beat all 100 of the mob, as they called it, uh, then she won like the grand prize or he won the grand prize. Um, the trouble was that we, we did the show, and, and the computer equipment kept breaking down. And uh, the guys that ran the show – were two of the biggest assholes that I'd ever seen in my entire life. They, they completely they insulted the people on the show. They were, you know, they threatened to pull everybody off the show. And they said, "You're not. You guys aren't making enough noise. You guys aren't making. You know, wave your hands, jump up and down, and scream and yell." So my section up at the top just basically started flipping them off with obscene gestures at that point. <laughs> uh, just, just some little guarantee that. But there's, I, I put it up on my Facebook. There's, I'll, maybe I'll, I'll put it up again on the. Uh, on, on the Facebook on online here, but uh, there's a great look on my face, which shows you how happy I am at that very moment. Because uh, what they did was uh, a bunch of people got it wrong. I got it wrong. And at that moment they cut to me and I had this look of, of real happiness on my face. It was, it was a delightful time. Uh, but those things are, you know, I did those for a while here and there and uh, they were fun to do. And I made a few dollars off them. The best one was to tell the truth. Cause I, I made $3,000 for like two minutes worth of work. So that was, and, and no one ever believed me ever again, because I was such a good liar on that show. It's, it's the old wrestling training came in into, uh, into, into play there, you know, where basically if you convince yourself that your story is true, it, it's hard for people to, to, to think you're lying. That's, that's the trick on that show. Hey, Dan, speaking of pro wrestling, we should probably talk a little bit about pro wrestling so we don't yeah. scare off all the listeners here today. And we're going to add someone exactly. in a few minutes here. But I am curious. We are recording this on Sunday, the day after the AEW All Out show. And so many of these guys, the Young Bucks, and, you know, various other guys that work there started in Southern California. I'm just curious, were you ever around these guys? Do you have any experience with um, the current crop of popular professional wrestlers who started in Southern California? I started working on shows in 1990 
And I did, did it up until the early 2000s, and then I was I had a break for about four or five years, and then came back and started doing some stuff again. I ran into some of the guys. Um, I don't know the Young Bucks. I'd seen them wrestle several times, including a match where there was a, a tank team out here called the Ballard Brothers, who were twins, who dressed in hockey gear. And uh, there was this weird, you talk about weird places to have wrestling matches. There was a place called Frankenson's uh, out here, which is a, a large, every weekend they have a, a comic book and autograph and baseball card convention. And across the street was this little house and a, a big empty parking lot. And this guy had bought the house and he was selling um, wrestling stuff out of there, uh, figures and pictures and, and videotapes and stuff like that. And uh, once a month, he would have a wrestling show. He had a ring in the back of the house. And on a Sunday, they would we would sit out in the backyard, you know, the back of this uh, place, and they would have a wrestling match. I saw the Young Bucks there for the first time. Um, what I remember most about that card was the Young Bucks and the Ballards fought out of the ring, into the parking lot, uh, into the uh, the porta toilets that were in the back of the parking lot. And when they both came out, they had the, um, the, uh, the, basically the seat of the, uh, porta toilet wrapped around their neck. So you can see that they were going for the high house. They were going for the high brow stuff early on. I literally, that is all, that I literally was, just asked Jim Cornette a question about that finish from clash of the champions 10 on the drive through that will be out the day this comes out. But anyway, what were you saying, Scott? Just that that's always funny. The toilet seat around the neck. <laughs> it, it shouldn't be, but it Actually, is. Actually, it also had this show uh, had one of my favorite spots of all time, and that was it, there were two guys, um, a guy named Alcatraz who wore an orange jumpsuit like he was in prison uh, against uh, Little Cholo, who was one of the guys on the early days of uh, of the Lucha Show. Um, what it was uh, the Lucha Show from a couple of years ago. But uh, what happened was they they were fighting in a, in the uh, no DQ match. They fought. The ring was right next to the, the house, and they actually climbed up and climbed onto the roof of the house. And they fought on the roof. And Alcatraz tried to shove Little Cholo down the chimney. Wow! And that was one of my favorite moments. That uh, <laughs> I, 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 I no, I have never seen anyone do that, and I don't think I'll ever see anyone do that ever again. Yeah, that may be but, first. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But uh, no, I, I, a lot of the guys, um, I came in in a gap period. I, I didn't know them that well. I had done a couple shows with Joey Ryan uh, at one point. Uh, the last, I worked one show with him a couple years ago, but he basically kind of stayed off with his click and everything. So I didn't really have a lot of contact uh, with them. Um, they, they all seem nice. Nothing, nothing blew me truthfully nothing blew me away about the young bucks at all i mean i know they're very very popular and i've seen some of their stuff um uh, but uh it there's there's nothing you know that really really connects with me on an emotional level with them i i, I think I'm, I'm a little too old for um uh for for basically fandom for them well no i'm 39 and i feel the same way so i don't know if age is really the thing <laughs> in determining whether well, you're a young bucks fan or not yeah, well, I mean, I, I just in general, I've always felt that um, oftentimes, uh, you know, depending upon um, you know what generation you're seeing and, and what age you are, sometimes you know how the first three or four years that you become a wrestling fan 
those are the things that stick out in your head. And those are the guys that you remember and, and you hold in awe and not guys, you know, once you're a certain age and guys, especially that are younger than I am when I'm much older. I mean, I had the same thing was, I hear a lot of people talk about how much they love the ultimate warrior. I was in my thirties when the ultimate warrior was popular yeah. and I thought he was one of the worst things I'd ever seen in my time. He, he was like one of the, to me, one or two of the worst um, things about professional wrestling at that time. So I never really had any kind of a, you know, appeal to him though. I, I, when he died, I know a lot of guys out here were really heartbroken because he was a childhood idol of theirs, but he, you know, he was, he was not that when I was, was, was a fan. Well, yeah, it's certainly, it's whatever you, uh, whatever you grew up on, no matter what uh, your yeah. fandom, where it takes you in, <laughs> in later years, or if you go back and start trying to discover uh, talent or, 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 or wrestling from different areas. But um, yeah, yeah, I, the thing about Hogan living through the, 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 the explosion of, uh, of uh, the rest, early WrestleMania days and Hulkamania and all that stuff was just that everything was new. Uh, you'd, you'd see him on the tonight show, which you never got to see yeah. before. You'd see them on Saturday night live or, or whatever it was. And it was all very new. And uh, even though I'd been a wrestling fan for many years, I say, Oh my God, look at this. That uh, They're on shows that other people <laughs> other yeah. than wrestling fans are seeing this mainstream stuff. And it was exciting to see, how into it the audiences would get, whether it was him or warrior or people like that. But, you know, they, they weren't for me, yeah. you know, they were, they're, they're, they were yeah, the kind of, mean, kind of thing I like. And then casual fans that would start to see new things like that. They'd say that became wrestling because that's what they would see mainstream. So they, they knew I was a fan and they'd say things like, well, saw your buddy Hulk Hogan on TV last night. <laughs> yeah, oh, he's, <laughs> He's the greatest. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, that's and, what they, they do. Yeah. And now today, there's a, you know, we were just talking about a couple of them, you know. Uh, it's a feather in their cap that they sell tons of shirts and that they got a yeah. Funko Pop doll that you can go buy at, uh, at Hot Topic or something like that. And is that a measuring stick for, for how great somebody's doing, you know? Uh, then I guess Hulk Hogan really was the best because he sold a lot of toys. <laughs> well, you know, that's that's the whole thing with, with me was uh, when I first started going to the San Bernardino Arena every week and it ran weekly. Um, what kept me coming back was next week, Jesus Calhoun is going to be here. Well, gee, I've seen Jesus Calhoun in the magazines. I want, I want to see him in person, Andre the Giant, all those kind of guys. I kept coming back and back and back, and it built off of that. And again, that was because there was a certain innocence that you had at that point uh, when you first started uh, following wrestling, and uh, it was really easy. Like I said, one of the biggest disappointments I ever had in my entire life was meeting Chief J. Strongbow. Who I I when I was first started following wrestling, Jay Strombo was my favorite wrestler, and then I, I met him one time, and uh, as they always say, you should never meet your your idols because I was really really disappointed. Not that I expected I, I, I something else, but I mean, like when I met Roddy Piper, I mean Piper was wonderful. He was a great guy, um, but uh, and Nick Bockwinkel was 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 great. Um, but uh, there are Jay lots Strombo, of stories I about Jay so Strombo. Yeah, there are lots of horror stories yeah. about Jay Strombo being a dickhead to not just fans but people in yeah. the business, actually. Yeah. Yeah, I had a, a I knew a guy. There was there was, uh, Billy Anderson had a lot of guys that would work 
uh, enhancement shows, you know, the enhancement talent and stuff. And uh, there was a guy that walked up to the chief and he said, honestly, and this is the stupidest thing in the world you can say. He said, uh, chief, do you think uh, doing all these jobs is going to hurt my career? And chief looked at him and said, what career? Yeah. What a dick. Just, I mean, I've heard so many stories <laughs> from people throughout the years, like wrestlers too, like Bret Hart in his book, he had a whole thing about, you know, talking about something and just saying, oh, you know, I think if I was positioned right, I could be a big star like Hulk Hogan. And Chief's like, you hear this? He thinks he could be Hulk Hogan running around and like, Brett's like, oh, come on. Yeah. And so many guys have those yeah. stories about Strong. Hey, Gary Hart said that he came up to the WWF and his short run got sabotaged because Chief J. Strongbow was an agent there. That was in what, 84? Yeah. So it's lots of stories about Strongbow. Let me add someone because uh, I know they're on standby here. So let me uh, add them here. Type in their name. And that didn't work. There we go. Got his name. Adding him. I think he's going to pick up quickly. One, two, three, four, five, six. (laughs) Uh, Hello. Am I calling episode 100? No, this is not episode 100. You (laughs) took eight seconds to be added to Labor Day Star Wars. How are you, Luke Kippelman? Welcome to Star Wars. Oh, doing fantastic. Feeling laborious. Ah. Uh, uh, Yeah, yeah. Still recovering from 4th of July. Uh, How are you guys doing? We're doing all right. On the line with us right now is the popular wrestling humorist Scott Cornish and the late Dan Farron. Hello, Lou. Oh, howdy. (laughs) How's it going? Hey, Lou, how you doing? Oh, it sounds like Lou's been working very hard. Well, I think that's you, a fair you assessment. You sound tired, Lou. <laughs> yeah, because you work so hard for the for the you know for the the shows and everything. I did, I imagine you're probably exhausted by this time. He's exhausted. He just had Jeff Bowdrin yelling in his ear for two hours. Ah, <laughs> 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 uh, yes. Uh, well, something to that effect, yes. Hey, Lou, before you get too tired, I do have a favor to ask, if you don't mind. I posted yeah. something the other day on Twitter and on Facebook. It was something from a collection I recently purchased. It's yeah. a memo from March 7th, 1986. Tony Schiavone, Jim Crockett Promotions, listed here as publicity. And it's a right. it's a letter to a man named Mr. John Zablocki, Avenue D in Brooklyn. And it's a breakdown of the stipulations for upcoming Jim Crockett Promotions events. Any chance I can get you to read some of these? Yeah, yeah. Let me uh, pull that up. Pull that up. Yeah, I got this collection the other day, and it's just filled with random great stuff. I was telling Dan a little bit off air. It had this, and then like the next thing I have like multiple original 1965 Norm Keitzer newsletters. Right. I was like, holy cow, legal-sized paper, the original ones here. And then I got a St. Louis program addressed to Nat Bay Wrestling, Inc. So I'm like, okay, for those of you who don't know, Nat Bay ran Ring Wrestling. I'm thinking, how did this collection all of a sudden get a program mailed from the St. Louis Wrestling Club to the guy running Ring Wrestling? So there's all sorts of random stuff. I've got like every single bootleg and outlaw and even WWF spot show run in Brooklyn, like every card just about from like the 80s. Guys that you're hearing on John Arezzi's Pro Wrestling Spotlight, Bialo the Giant and the Power Twins. I got all of these cards. It's kind of a crazy little collection here. And, of course, this memo from Jim Crockett Promotions was one of the things in it. Yes, yes. 
Crockett Promotion Stipulations Explained. Yeah, just found it. All right, this is from, like we said, March 7th, 1986. So months in advance of the Great American Bash Tour that we just reviewed on Jim Cornette's, uh, or on the Jim Cornette Experience, excuse me. Yes, uh, to a Mr. John Zablocki of uh, Brooklyn, New York. Let's see, maybe <laughs> maybe that's why there's an explanation of a Sicilian stretcher match, which <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I, I don't recall ever happened in Mid-Atlantic. Where did the Sicilian stretcher match, other than Madison Square Garden? Uh, like Philly Spectrum. Yeah. I want to say I saw one between Backland and Graham, Superstar Graham. Well, this letter here, Shivani, begins with, thank you for your letter. To, uh, two noted Sicilians, Backland and Graham. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, they, that's, uh... That's, that's actually where you need Chief J. Strongbow. <laughs> oh, no doubt. <laughs> yeah, then you'd have a Sicilian in the match. <laughs> well, this letter here, thank you for your letter on 3386. I hope the following information helps. So we assume that John Zablocki sent the letter four days earlier to Crockett Promotions asking about these stipulation matches. And Lou, we're going to go to you first. The no-holds-barred match. No-holds-barred match. Many different wrestling alliances and associations have holds, which are not permitted in the ring. In a no-holds-barred match, these maneuvers are permitted. An example would be the pile driver. It is not permitted in the NWA, but would be allowed in this type of match. All other rules would apply. Okay, pretty good basic breakdown of a no-holds-bar match. The next one here, death match, anything goes match, lights out match, no disqualification match, all bracketed together here. Yes. I have grouped these together because they basically are the same. They are all different ways of saying no disqualification match. Sicilian stretcher. <laughs> I was about to go there. Sicilian stretcher match. All right. I have no experience on this match, but I remember reading once about a couple of rules. As best as I can remember, the only way the match could end is if a doctor stopped the match and the loser was carried out on a stretcher. A street hmm. fight match. Much the same as a no disqualification match except the participants usually dress in street clothes and bring many foreign objects into the ring. Anywhere in the building match. I've never heard of many of the matches. However, <laughs> I do know the rules. As you probably know, a match can end on a countout. That means one or both of the men, or teams, fail to get back into the ring before a referee's 10 count. In this match, the 10 count is eliminated and the men can battle anywhere, which is legally property of the building in which they are wrestling. Arena floors, dressing rooms, concourses, parking lots, etc. The referee must follow the two where they would happen to go. Brass Knuckles match. Okay, let me... Uh... This is on page two. That is why uh, it's taking a second here. Yeah, I need to. I had I used Chrome to zoom on this. Well, this because must, this must I, have been torturous for Shivani to sit there and write all the type all this out. Yeah, no yeah, doubt. Was this somebody's kid he was writing to? What? <laughs> I know. God, 
I wrote a fanboy letter to Shivani and David Crockett in the summer of 86, and I didn't get shit back. This, <laughs> this guy's getting the goddamn National Wrestling Alliance bylaws. I don't know what kind of stroke he had. Lou, so let's see. do you have it open, page two? Oh, let me see. Chrome is being oh, difficult oh. to me. Here we go. Here we go. Brass Knuckles match. This match is like others in that the object is to pin your man for a three count. It is different in that the match consists of 10 three-minute rounds, and close fist punching is allowed. It is, in many ways, like a boxing match without gloves. Finally, let me stress that there is a difference between a death match and a Texas death match. In a Texas death match, pins do not count. There is no time limit. After every successful pin, there is a 30-second rest period. At the end of the rest period, the bell rings to begin again. If a man cannot rise to his feet within 10 counts after the bell, then the other is declared a winner. Thanks again for your letter. I have enclosed a copy of our magazine with the basic NWA rules on page 11. I hope you enjoy it. Sincerely, Jim Crockett Promotions. Tony Schiavone, Publicity. It really makes you just want to write letters to random wow. people and see what you can get back. Oh, no doubt. <laughs> you know, I would pay money. I would pay money for a CD of Lou reading the rules of wrestling just to listen to it over and over again. <laughs> We're going to do that. It's going to be a that special is- <laughs> for patrons, actually. It's going to be Lou reads the bylaws of the NWA. <laughs> They did a thing back in 1976. They they released in L.A. the bicentennial rules. I should send those in to you and have Lou read those about what was legal and what was not legal. You know, oh, uh, Texas death matches were not legal and whatever. Uh, I love it. Anytime anybody has to explain rules, but uh, Lou, that was great actually. I I I think I understand more about those matches now than I did before. I wish everybody who actually put on those matches would actually read that letter. See, what sucks oh. is this guy wrote this letter in, sent it to Jim Crockett Promotions, and then someone opened it and said, give it to Shivani. Like, <laughs> like it wasn't ad- I guarantee it wasn't addressed to Tony Shivani. He didn't sign it, Tony Shivani, the voice of TBS Wrestling. It was Tony Shivani publicity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was Tony Shivani. Uh, dude who does play-by-play for the Charlotte O's and occasionally sweeps up and answers these letters. That's right. That's right. I got so much weird stuff here. I got this program. It's weird. I got this program in this collection, and then literally the next day I got a package from Tom Burke, an awesome package from Tom Burke, by the way, and this program was in there too. And I said, Tom, what's the story with this? And I got three of these. He goes, oh, I made that. So it is wrestling from... Worcester, Massachusetts, July 14th, 1983. Main event, Toru Tanaka versus Victor Rivera. Toru Tanaka managed by Wild Bull Curry. And then I guess it's just a lot of Kowalski guys, I think. Jethro the Gator Man Chambers versus Roberto Soto. Tony the Soul Brother Ulysses versus Rick McGraw with special guest referee Walter Killer Kowalski. It's weird when all of a sudden he uses the name Walter, like even in his own programs. Richard Burns versus Ricky Sexton, Dan Petty versus David Starr, and Rudy Diamond versus Bob Van Winkle. Bell time, 8 p.m., and the ring announcer is Mel Simmons. 
So there we go. Another mm-hmm. thing I got there. And that led nowhere. So Richard Burns, Richard, did Richard Burns have a uh, STD gimmick? <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> uh, Lou, did you watch the event last night? Oh, no, I'm way too cheap to do that. I I think I caught maybe the the last couple of minutes uh of the uh of the buy-in. Just uh Jim Ross and Excalibur uh running down the card. All right. Yeah. Nothing <laughs> to talk about there. Though. Exactly. No, I've I've had more fun reading the thread in the mothership and, and reading your uh tweet storm on it. And then that wasn't having... a tweet storm. That wasn't a tweet storm. Well, I mean, it was, it, it was you picking up the Twitter fungo bat and, and you know, <laughs> sw- swinging away on various uh, goofs on Twitter. Oh, you're a WWE yes. chill. How long, are they, chill. how long have you been on their payroll? Well, that one I like because when the guy said that to me, all I'm thinking is, I wonder how much he thinks they're paying me. So that was my response to him. How much do you think they're paying for my shilling? And he never responded. You know, I, I was actually really curious. They're, pay, they're paying me to go on Twitter and do commentary about what I'm watching on AEW. Not all of it was negative. I like Jungle Boy and uh, and uh, Luchasaurus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I'm a shill. That, I was shocked when I saw that. I was a shill for the WWE. I was like, this is the greatest tweet of all time. I got to retweet this. Well, yeah, he really, he's got you dead to rights, man. <laughs> yeah. People are like, have you heard any of his shows <laughs> do you have any idea who this man that you follow is <laughs> but i guess not i guess not. Uh, Dan, yeah. when was the last time you went to a live show oh a couple months ago i went to a uh a lucha show i mostly go the curtain i usually just go to local lucha shows though i think i may be going to a show uh this friday night um because a friend of mine uh, wrote a book about Star Wars, and he's he's actually auto- doing an autograph uh, and uh, session there at the wrestling show, which I find very interesting. Um, but um, I, we went to a Lucha show um, a couple a couple months ago, and it's it's always a lot of fun. It, it's it's to me, it's the way the wrestling was when I first started watching it. It's in a small, hot building with no air conditioning, uh, people selling uh, you know uh, nachos and and t-shirts and the guys walking through the crowd and uh it was the most really amazing was that um i still am blown away by the fact that people get so excited at a show that they actually throw money in the ring afterwards yeah i mean that really that that, that really that 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 that's like the best compliment in the, in the world i mean no other wrestling outside of lucha has a tip jar in the corner that's what it feels like and uh you know these guys went out there and they just banged around and and uh people were throwing dollar bills in afterwards you know but also my favorite thing is the people who sit in the front row and get knocked down uh, on a regular basis by the wrestlers because for lucha fans they basically understand if you sit close to the ring you're you're going to get knocked down and um you know i i think i even put a little video up of a couple of luchadors fighting in the front row and kept falling on top of this lady you know, just kept repeatedly falling on top of this lady. Uh, but it, it feels like the wrestling that uh, that I used to go to. It doesn't feel like big old corporate wrestling. It feels like mom and pop next door neighbor wrestling. And, and that's what I enjoy going to see. What do you think of the big differences? I mean, obviously, it's a little different now than it would have been in the 1990s. But from when you were around there in the 1990s or even today, what are the big differences in the crowds between a lucha show, a local lucha show and a local show, just a local indie show that has no lucha components whatsoever? 
Um, but the lucha audience, the lucha audience comes in and, and they're very, and they, you know, they talk to the wrestlers and they, cause, because the whole idea of lucha is that the technicos and the rudos, they're not that way in real life. They're, that's their style of wrestling in the ring. So it makes it a little bit easier. They don't have to keep fade as much. Um, but the funny thing about it is you'll see people come in and, and they'll be talking to wrestlers and, and, and this, you know, chatting very, you know, nonchalantly or whatever. But what happens is when, when it gets really heated up in the ring, they really, really, really get mad and really get upset and really storm the ring and, and pound on the apron and do stuff like that, which I haven't seen since the 1970s uh, in many cases. Uh, most of the, the fans that, are, that I see now that go to, to regular wrestling shows, um, they're mostly families and with kids and maybe the little kids will get all excited or whatever, but kind of like what a couple of people indicated uh, on the, on the Facebook page today was people really don't get as much excited as they used to. Uh, and I mean, I remember, you know, that I used to, in San Bernardino, I used to see cops. There were two cops. There was a, 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 a one of one, one cop would, would be there to back up the other cop. And then somebody, you know, rush the ring or whatever, they would like grab him in a, in a chokehold and drag him up the aisle away from there and, and, and throw people out or arrest them or do stuff like that. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's so nonchalant now. It's just no, you know, so, um, the, the audience feels like they're, they're in on the show as opposed to being, uh, you know, upset by it or heightened by it. I mean, it's, it's, it's really, it's, it's a fascinating change. And that's why I always feel that people talk about, wrestling uh you know going back to the way it was um for it to go back to the way it was you would have to completely re-educate the audience back to that again and i just don't think that's possible you know last night on the show i watched it obviously because we're reviewing it on the jim Cornette experience and i'm watching it on my tv perfect quality good mm -hmm. sound and i didn't think the crowd was that noisy at times i thought the crowd died more and more as the show went on and there were points like during the young bucks match where I thought they were totally silent, and then a This Is Awesome chant started, and then it got silent, and then a Fight Forever chant, or maybe it was the other way around, mm -hmm. and then it got silent. And I'm reading on Twitter, some people that, they're like, that were there, they were like, oh, the audience was great, it was, they were really into everything, and I was like, really? Did it just not translate? Or is it that now the audience is great if they just sit there and don't boo? Like, what is a great audience? Because, uh, well, Scott, you didn't see it, did you, Scott? I did see it, yeah. Did you, what did you think of the audience last night? Uh, well, the show is is too long, and that's their that audience is their biggest fans, <laughs> people that spent considerable time and money and effort to get to that show, and they're 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 out of gas by the fourth fifth hour, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, but but still, people that that pay the premium price for those top seats. You can see them very busy on their phones. <laughs> I, you got me. I don't know why you'd go to all that expense and effort and then sit there staring at your phones. I don't know. There's, there's a, there's. It may not be true of the whole building, and certainly, yeah, there must have been. The audience that shows up for that and sells out a building like that is an enthusiastic audience that wants to be part of the big event and is very excited for everything to happen. So. Uh, you know, you've got it. If it's happening early where they're silent, I don't know what to tell you. They're, you're not doing something right. And later in the show, they had, you know, they had very little left for, for those those two top big matches. And, and uh, 
It's a strange thing to see. Uh, uh, audiences love to chant, and <laughs> that's all there is to it. Uh, and it, every single Thanks, one of thank those. Thank you, Philadelphia. Thank you. Oh, uh, <laughs> but but now that stuff is so tired, you know, you you've seen it on many different shows by many different promotions. They're chanting, "This is awesome!" When nothing has happened, you know. They're, they're waiting for something. Uh, I guess that was good. Now it's time for fight forever. You know, everything is tired. Although I've got to give credit. There was a really insane, enthusiastic audience in Cardiff yesterday for the NXT UK yeah. show. But they they have like soccer chants and songs that they like to sing. And that goes on and on. And, and even that can be annoying. They're very enthusiastic. But sometimes, again, it's just it's just a game. We want to sing. We want to, you know, who am I to say? If that's your, you, that's how you want to have fun at a wrestling show. Uh, but sometimes it can even be very distracting. But I've got to give them credit for the best chant I have heard in years. And one of the first I've heard that was really unusual is in the main event between Walter, the title match with the NXT champion Walter against Tyler Bate. At one point, the audience began chanting, Walter is a wanker. <laughs> <laughs> and I went, God bless you, NXT. <laughs> Cardiff crowd. <laughs> During that AEW show, they're chanting fight forever. I'm chanting end at 10. End at 10. <laughs> Go on for hours. <laughs> end the yeah, fucking show. Where's the curfew? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It, it does, because each match... Feels like it goes at least twenty minutes. That hardcore match last night, I'm not a fan of that shit. But if it goes like seven minutes, okay, you know it did what its purpose was. That thing was like twenty minutes. It just kept going and going, and I'm like, Jesus, when does yeah. this end? You know, it's one thing if the fans are all jumping up and down and going crazy. No one's jumping, no one's yelling, no one's right. throwing their arms in the air. They look at their phone or they turn to the person next to them. Somebody did bring up uh, the the pattern. I don't think it's true of every group, but certainly seems to be true of uh, of these AEW shows. Is that they feel a need to put a match, something for everybody on the show. We want a big stunt ladder match. We want a hardcore match. We want two women wrestling we want a dumb battle royal you know? where's tony shivani with the stipulations he was he must have been busy writing letters he didn't show up at all last night yes yes he's uh yeah he's uh looking at the new bylaws of the uh star trek universe for the for the for for the next stipulation yeah, he, was, he was trying to write down the rules to the cracker barrel match and then he yeah. Jumped out a window. <laughs> <laughs> there, was a, there was a point I'm watching it last night, and you know, there are people who think it's just the greatest thing ever and they love it. And I'm watching it and I'm thinking, maybe I'm not a wrestling fan. Like maybe, maybe I've been wrong all these years because I don't enjoy this the way a lot of you've other been, people seem to be. You, you've been living a lie and yeah. you weren't aware of it up I, until I, now. I didn't know. I didn't know. So I was watching it, and then I heard some people say, like, that Young Bucks match was so great. I was like, really? I mean, I know they did some crazy, stupid spots, but that was another one where the crowd died, where guys just stood around waiting for something to happen. There's too much of, like, the 
the choreographed wrestling in general is bad, but on this show, there were several points where the choreography broke down and the other guy would try to tell the other guy what to do. Like, what point I saw Kenny Omega, like, come at me, or whatever, point, you know? Like, it's just, yeah. it's it's not for me. <laughs> I just, I'm realizing more and more. Instead of complaining <laughs> about why it's not what I like, I just got to realize wrestling will never be what I like ever again. But I wonder. I still have the, you know, the magazines and the tapes and the Jack <laughs> stories, so I'm okay. Things happen. Certainly things happen. I saw a couple of things that I really liked on, on the NXT show. And there were some things I saw on the, on the AEW show, which was, was just way, the show was too long and everything, just about everything on it was too long. <laughs> but, um, you know, it, it has its moments, but I, I don't know. Is every show going to be like that? Is, you know, uh, but it, yeah, I'm so over. I, I brought this up before, but I'm so over breaking tables. It gets no, does nothing for me. And uh, think how long that's been going on—twenty years, you know. And now, so now that that ladder matches painful ladder spots, breaking tables, and that and that's it. Right. Not this real struggle. How are they going to get past these guys? Oh my God! Yeah, they must, our, our, they must really want those titles, you know. Yeah, are we going to have spines get slammed on ring aprons for the next quarter of a century? Well, wait till you see the Darby Allen bump, Lou, if you haven't seen it already with the cracker. Oh, I saw, the, I, well, I saw that on Twitter, and I'm like, uh, okay. Which match was I watching? Now I can't remember, where the guy just moonsaulted to the floor to nothing. Do you remember, Scott? There was one point. I forget what oh, match it was now. That, was, that must have been the same match. I think it was Janela. That, that's right. It was Janela during that match. He, <laughs> he does a moonsault to the floor. Not. It's not like the move where the guy rolls away at the last second. He must have rolled away before the camera was on because he was nowhere in sight. And you just see Janela go flying to the floor. And you're just thinking, man, this guy's stupid. <laughs> we just see him. Well, like well, and, they've got, well, and they've got other. And, that, and in that same match, They've got absolutely ridiculous fake spots involving staple guns and paper cuts. <laughs> and right. they, and they yeah. get the same reaction as that kind of stuff. Well, oh, well, yeah. oh, oh, yeah. oh. <laughs> well, with Janela, no, I can't I can't help but but think the of the that first uh it it was a double or nothing, was it? But it was the it might have been the, the gimmick battle royal there where they had an announce table that was just there and and not used. It was only there for the specific purpose of having Luchasaurus choke slam Janela through it at some point. It was just like boy, that's yeah, that's ring psychology. I remember that first double the not double or nothing, the first all in car a year ago. They had broken tables five times, five different matches in, <laughs> on that first show. Uh, Getting the table gets as big a pop as breaking the table. Yeah. Just oh, pulling up the ring curtain and showing them that you're going to get a table. You get that, oh, that pop. It'll get a bigger pop most nights than when they finally put the guy through it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think for a lot of the fans, 
that it's an ant- anticipation thing. I think it's weird. I think what happens is they get so excited because the tickets are coming out and they're online and they're trying to get tickets so they get the best tickets they can. And then they travel with their friends and they tailgate beforehand. They get So by the time they actually get inside and the matches start, they're exhausted. I mean, all the, you know, they've been, I, I can't wait to get here. And now we're here. And then, you know, they're tired. You know, there's, they're not going to see you know, the whole excitement of getting there and, and getting the tickets and, and being present for that. Um, you know, it, it's, it's like the, you know, the, it's like a few minutes after Christmas morning, they've opened up the gifts and now there is, they got nothing left. Yeah. And I wonder how much overlap there was with Starcast three, the number of people yeah. who went to both. Yes. Uh, I that was there, a rhetorical there can, there question. Can <laughs> no, there can be too much. I mean, this is, I think you see it all the time sometimes, especially on WrestleMania weekends and stuff, when they set up all this stuff. I mean, oh, gee, every 15 minutes there's a card starting someplace. Uh, it gets to be too much. I, I, I don't, I, you know, even, I've been a fan since 1971. I, I can very easily get burned out after, after more than two or three things in a row that way. You know, I, I can't imagine, you know, doing that for an entire weekend. I mean, at least thank God the Cauliflower Alley, you can sleep in the hotel. So like, when you get tired, you just go upstairs and lay down. You know, you don't have to, to travel back and forth. And I think, I do think that, you know, it, it can be, there could be too much of, of, of something. I, when I went to the matches, there were four matches on a show. They, they would do one match, do an intermission, do another match, do uh, another intermission, and then the last two matches, and that was it. You know, I mean, it was a slower pace. It was like baseball, you know. And it's too much of everything. Like like you said before, they try to jam everyone in. They try to have something for everyone to do. But the show goes on forever. And I don't know. I'm going to watch the NXT one. I'm going to try to get Jim to watch the NXT one. Because enough people, enough people have gotten in touch and said, Jim needs to watch the NXT one instead of AEW. He's going to mm-hmm. watch the AEW one, but I think we may have to do the NXT one. But I don't know. I just don't know. I, I, I want an alternative to WWE, and I watch AEW, and I'm like, these guys are doing WWE. That battle royal, that women's battle royal was lame WWE stupidity. Those backstage segments where Cody's walking down the hallway with everyone joining him. These theatrical openings where... Sean Spears is sitting there in silhouette or sitting there. In the, no, not silhouette, but they have a spotlight <laughs> on him and he's sitting in the chair. This is a fucking grudge match. Why is he sitting in a chair? He should be running in a ring and ready to punch the shit at the guy he's feuding with. They had a vignette introducing a new wrestler last night. Oh, yeah, Waldorf. Yeah. I saw that. <laughs> <laughs> Wardlow. Or, yeah. What's his name? I thought it was Waldorf. What? It's not Waldorf? No, it's not. <laughs> Yeah, maybe you'll get a get a load of his partner Statler. They are they they are unbeatable. That's Their cutting awesome, remarks man. are the worst. Waldorf. But uh, but but they had it, it would and it was set up. The vignette was set up like a scene from a bad movie, where he fa- he and his his uh, female assistant, but he faces down this group of tough guys. And thankfully, just like in a bad movie, the tough guys surround Wardlow. Then they each take their turn charging him, because if they all ganged up on him at once, that would be unfair. Right. <laughs> but, you know, code of the street. You, you never try to gain an advantage. Right. <laughs> you know, I'm going to be I'm going to bet that that was filmed by Moxley's buddy who filmed the Moxley vignettes. 
It's the same mm. look. I think it was filmed by the same people who did the Moxley vignettes, but it was too. You wanted again, to get on the show, last but but I mean Moxley's buddy at least has he has good contained narratives in the videos he's done. This had a good this narrative. Is, Waldorf this, and his but, girlfriend are in the parking lot, and these hoodlums who know how to take lucha bumps are there, and they're ready to confront <laughs> him one at a time. He choke slams, he grabs one out of the air by the neck. And it's so ridiculous because now you're supposed to think he goes to meet with some director. Like, listen, my name's Waldorf. I'm about to debut for All Elite Wrestling. I need a promotional video to show these people just who I am. Make sure there's a chick so they know I like chicks. And I beat up a white guy and a black guy and a Hispanic guy all at the same time. Exactly. Take it down the United Colors of Benetton on on some <laughs> generic rooftop. Yeah, they've got to have inclusion even during a beatdown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's just, it's so preposterous and yeah you know it, yeah put in the matrix camera effects and all all that crap too you know <laughs> wardlow okay that's boy that'll be a great chant though i, I would pay money i would pay money to the listener that brings a waldorf and statler puppet to an all elite show when Waldorf comes out and just starts playing with it. Don't do anything to see that. <laughs> Bonus points if you bring a New Zealand. Oh, very nice. And just throw a fish. Yeah. So yeah, I just I don't know. I, I I want an alternative, but I want an alternative not to WWE, but to that style, that look. I want something that everyone doesn't have to. How many guys fucking danced to the ring last night? I, how many guys, their music hits, they come out, they pose, and they dance. I'm thinking, when I was a kid, did anyone dance to the fucking ring? I mean, Coco Ware had a bird, and he was singing his own fucking song. He danced. But there were so many guys just dancing out to the ring. Everyone has to pose. That's the first thing I'll do if I had a wrestling promotion. Bye-bye stage. Bye-bye runway. Let's make it a little more gritty and start with that. But God damn, it's just, I want an alternative to the look and the feel of every modern wrestling promotion. doesn't have to be a classic wrestling thing. It doesn't have to be all nostalgia, but it just has to apply the things that worked and the things that made sense and the things that made me a fan. And I'm not getting that much of it. I want angles and interviews more than I want alleged five-star matches. This has been Brian Last. For the six hundred <laughs> super podcast, <laughs> and now page two. <laughs> <laughs> Brian last good day, uh, <laughs> and I'm really dating myself. There. <laughs> <laughs> Any thoughts? Any thoughts oh. on my uh, soliloquy there? Anyone? Well, you know the boy. Bring back the librarians. Well, they were there. They were there in the, oh, were they? In the opening battle royal. Where, okay, again, more librarians then. This is where if the WWE did it, everyone would lose their mind. But because it's all elite and they're cute, you know, they get away with it. All elite is basically, these are the things we wanted to do in the WWE, but even Vince would be like, no, we're not. We're Have not you heard the, late, the latest take, though, on the librarians is, is the most insane thing I've ever heard. The gimmick is supposed to be bad. That makes, <laughs> that makes perfect sense. 
they're winking at 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 these lame gimmicks by presenting a bad gimmick yeah. on purpose. Unfortunately, and, it's not their eye that's winking. I think when it comes to this, uh, no. no. The one librarian, the girl, Leva Bates, she was in the battle royal and she got eliminated and she was upside down, but because her feet didn't touch the ground, the other librarian, Ponytail, he comes out there and he puts books on the ground so she could step on the books to get back in the ring because she didn't step on the ground. And I'm thinking. Like, this is WWE-level garbage. Like, I know there's an audience that likes the silliness and the hokiness. I get it. But it's just, it's too schizophrenic if you're going to try to have a serious wrestling product to have the level of banality <laughs> that some of this shit is on this fucking show. But anyway, I had well, to watch it. It's not just there that if it was, if For anyone out there saying, if you don't like it, you don't have to watch it. No, I legitimately had to watch it. It was, <laughs> it was my job this week to fucking watch this shit. So anyway, go ahead, Scott. Well, it's, not, it's not just their problem, but they say they want to present a serious wrestling product, but they don't really. <laughs> they didn't grow up watching a serious wrestling product. They grew up watching a dumb wrestling product. <laughs> See, what scares right. me is that I think that they think this actually is serious wrestling product. I mean, I, I really think they didn't go, they're not going back far enough. I, I, I think well, you can't. make a really good point, Brian. Yeah, yeah they can't. I mean, you're making a really good point. It's, it's, not, it's not that I don't want modern wrestling. I just don't want this. That's yeah, what it yeah. comes down to. And, you know, I talked yeah. a little bit about this. I don't remember if it's something I aired already or didn't with Jim Cornette, where I said, you know, I was actually playing devil's advocate a little and saying, if you grew up, and you never saw Mid-Atlantic or Mid-South or Florida or Georgia or whatever it may be, and you never got into tapes. You only grew up and watched wrestling that was on TV, and then let's say you got to be a big enough fan of it that you started seeing indies or getting DVDs or streams of Ring of Honor or Pro Wrestling Guerrilla or whatever. But, you know, that, that's you. You grew up, and within the last 10 years, you became a hardcore fan, got into the modern stuff, trained to be a wrestler. I mean, it's hard for me to think you would know better. I mean, to, to them, they know better. But if you actually don't know the way things were done, and why would they? They grew up on WWE. At best, yeah. they maybe saw Nitro. <laughs> I mean, they, they didn't ever saw yeah. anything in the 80s. Yeah, if they, if they went on a deep dive, they got to see Nitro and Thunder, too. So if you grew up watching all this silly fucking shit on WWE Raw, you think your silly shit's good, too? You just want to do your silly shit. Yeah. Oh, boy. No, the modern wrestling ring, that's where irony goes to die very quickly. <laughs> that's, yeah, it's like, boy, if, you, if, you're, if you're trying to be detached and meta, no, no, you don't have the skills to do that. So why are you even attempting it and wasting valuable airtime? Yeah. And there there. A bunch of groups out there now, very small groups, but whatever, you know, and they've got a built in excuse for everything. If you see something stupid and you say, you know, that strikes me as kind of stupid, they just say, oh, well, you don't understand. Wrestling has evolved and changed. It's supposed to be funny and fun. <laughs> really, every dumb thing you do is fantastic and re represents some kind of an evolution. Uh, to the uh, to uh, what you might refer to as an art form. <laughs> yeah. The argument would hold up better I, if, if there were more fans attending than there used to be. And it's the exact opposite. There are less fans watching, less fans attending. So 
Maybe you should try it the other way. <laughs> that, as a businessman, that's what I would look at. How do we make things better? It's astonishing oh. to see some of those big AEW trainees, you know, or I'm signees, I'll say, and see that they must get a nosebleed when they come out in front of a 10,000 seat arena because then you see, oh, here they were two nights ago in front of 120 people. <laughs> these these giant super signings that they've made, you know, that must be it, it must be dizzying to see them work those tiny, tiny shows. And then turn around and every couple of months get to work a, a huge one. Yeah. When I was working on local shows here, I actually had a guy come up to me and say, I, I want to do this angle. And I said, okay. And uh, he said, hey, and we're, we're going to send you to do the whole thing this evening. I said, well, why do you want to do the whole thing this evening? Why don't we do the setup and then next month we can bring it back and then and maybe even take it a little bit further if you want to. He goes, no, no, no. He says, the audience doesn't have the attention span for that. We have to do it all in one night. <laughs> and I was horrified by this. I was just absolutely he, horrified. He, I said, he's not wrong, though. <laughs> they they really don't he, have that yeah, span anymore. They really don't. No, that's the sad part about it. Is they re he really isn't wrong? You know, it's wrong to everything that that we know. But uh, for uh, for most audience members, that's the way they are. Well. We've killed the this show. is all a sham. We should just end it. Let's just end it, Brian, right now. It's all a sham. We found the end of the. You know, we found the end of the internet. We found the end of professional wrestling. It's 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 ended right now. Let's let's mark the time and the date, and then we'll just call it. Let me pick up some of these random cards here. I got. Okay. Here's here's a show. Sunday, October twenty first, nineteen eighty four, Ridgewood Groves Arena, professional wrestling. The United States Wrestling Association, a bloody confrontation of championship, but this is handwritten, a bloody confrontation of championship of heavyweight, international champion, CWA champion, white feather versus concrete cowboy, Vince Coelho versus the golden boy, impact number one versus the cavemen, and, and there's a slash, so the cave slash men. Mike Cologne versus the Red Demon, Impact number one versus, or Impact number two, excuse me, versus Goliath, each and every Sunday live entertainment plus live entertainments of all kind. Dancing, what? singing, <laughs> DJ, disco, American and Spanish, Latin, L A T I N G, Latin. All of this follows right after the wrestling show, all for the same price, a family day Sunday. And then if I go to the other side, there's another show coming up. This one was October 21st, November 28th, 1984, same building, Lucha Libre, a bloody tag team match, Mike Cologne and the Iron Hand versus the Red Demon and the Assassin, Captain America versus Bronco the Arabian. <laughs> Who the fuck is that? Bronco <laughs> the Arabian. Uh, Blackjack versus the Exotic Man. The Inspector versus Goliath, Al Rubinsky versus the Golden Boy, Hurricane Soto versus the Revenger, Revenger, not Avenger, the Revenger, Petro Rodriguez, P-E-T-R-O, versus the Dogman, and Royo <laughs> Velez versus the Italian Prince, Friday Live Entertainment, Teenagers and Disco up to 10 p.m., Saturday Live, 12-piece band, Ladies free, 
Sunday, Disco and Talent Scout Entertainment. So there's some of the action happening wow. in Queens wow. in 1984. Mm. Yeah. What was the year? 84. 84. I'm thinking about putting together a collection. I'm, I'm kind of half joking, half serious. I would love to because I have so much of this stuff now and I want to compile more. And doing your Resi show, I've become increasingly interested in the New York and Northeast indie scene between, let's say, the Backland years and 1990, the Herb Abram years. It's mm-hmm. a real weird <laughs> and wild scene there. I was thinking about calling yeah. the book Not the Garden. <laughs> Just <laughs> everything else that took place. Because like even the Michael Harry interview, which everyone will hear on episode 100, which should be out you know, before Christmas, uh, on that interview, <laughs> Mike talks about going to some of those Vega International shows in like Upper Manhattan, where he was the yeah. only white guy there. And they had like, you know, Lucha Libre guys, they would fly in and they had WWF undercard guys working in good spots. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm really interested in like, because the, there's no, nothing about it. There's nothing about Northeast independent wrestling or the New York scene specifically between yeah. the late 70s when it, went, when it was outlaw and then when it just became independent wrestling by the wow. late 80s. You suppose back in 1984, that like, you know, the Iron Hand and the Dog Man and those guys were sitting in the locker room going, you know, we're changing the business. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can tell you, I, re- I remember the memorable program between Bronco the Arabian and uh, Wilbur the Clydesdale. Bronco that was, uh... the Arabian? How does that happen? That is, you know, it, it, the blow-off match was a loser gets gelded. <laughs> all right i got some more cards here hold on let me read another one. Oh boy this is from oh this is actually i think a pro wrestling usa show fdr high school november 22nd 1985 awa championship match giant kamala with skandar akbar versus rick martell handicap match the mighty igor polish strongman versus gypsy rodriguez and manny devil soto Wow. A special added attraction, a live Buddy Rogers corner. Oh, wow. Mm, wow. Larry Winters versus Johnny Rods. Midget match, Butch Cassidy versus the Haiti Kid. And in the opener, Pete Sanchez versus Dominic DiNucci. And there's a wrestling hotline here, a 212 number. I'm assuming it is not the Dominic Valente wrestling hotline. And then this is... See, again, this one, I think this is from Brooklyn. September 7th, 85. Samoan 1 versus David Schultz. The Mad Russians versus Tonga 1 and Samoan 2. Charlie Fulton versus Johnny Raj. The Great Coquina, that would have been Yokozuna, versus yeah. Jules Strongbow. Butch Cassidy versus the Haiti Kid. And Ray Apollo versus Dominic DiNucci. Mm. I got a bunch of ones here from the Brooklyn Roller Rama. I asked a Rezzy about that. He said that's when <laughs> wow. they would do shows at the roller skating rink. Here's one. Sieka Pro present Sieka Pro presents, excuse me, the United Wrestling Federation and All-Star TV Wrestling Show, January 16th, 1987, Sheepshead Bay High School, Brooklyn Avenue X. Two big main event matches. Polish power Ivan Putski versus Dr. D David Schultz, the EWA champ. Also a return grudge lumberjack match for the IWF belt between the unpredictable Johnny Rods, who's the IWF champ, and Ma- I was about to say Man Mountain. Mountain Man Moore. 350 pounds from the French Isle. <laughs> Two big tag team matches. Tony Gurria and David San Martino versus 
T.T. Krunsky and Gino Carabello, plus Bialo the Giant and the <laughs> Cheetah Kid versus Mario Mancini and the Mongol. Special bonus world-famous midget match. The IWF manager Frankie Longo brings home from Los Angeles, California, special guest star, the Haiti Kid. Charlie Fulton versus the mad Irishman Larry Finnegan. And Larry Santog, that's one of the Power Twins, versus the Destroyer. Mm. Contact Joey Casenza for further information. Or Richie D. So this is a Tommy D show. If, that, <laughs> if I see the name D there, I'm going to assume that. But yeah, I, wonder why the, I wonder why the Irishman was so mad. <laughs> <laughs> Here's one. David Bruno San Martino versus the Ace Cowboy Bob Orton, managed by Paulie Dangerously. Abdullah the Butcher versus Ted Arcidi. Abdullah's managed by Sheik Ali Abdullah. SD Jones versus Luscious Johnny V. Salvatore Belomo versus Ron Shaw. The Mad Russian with Eric the Red versus Brooklyn's own Bialo the Giant with manager <laughs> Frankie Longo. And in the opener, Mike Sundance versus Gino Carabello. $12 ringside, $10 bleachers. Tickets available at the door, 6.30 p.m., the day of the show, or you can go to MGM Video oh. on Avenue L. Look how all those WWF guys were still around, just grinding it out in these in these little gyms. My God! Wow. <laughs> yeah. Talk amongst yourselves while I put this all away. <laughs> wow, that's boy. That's, that's I, a little I, hidden subset of, of wrestling that I have yeah. never. I, I've been a fan since like the nineteen seventies, and I don't ever remember hearing. About that active of a, of a scene up in the Brooklyn area, there. I mean, yeah, you know, it's, yeah. it's amazing. Ah, and I'm surprised not- that I'm surprised they couldn't get a Frankie Williams from a Columbus, Ohio, in one of their main events. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he was Dog Man. You never know. Uh, oh yeah, it could be. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's nothing compared to what to what it is now, though. I just there, at whatever level you you choose to watch it, there there's yeah. independent wrestling everywhere you can possibly imagine everywhere you go uh as growing up or, or even as a young fan you know going back 10 or 20 years there was no such thing up where i live in upstate new york as independent wrestling just nothing you might get one thing in one town or a fair show or something like that maybe once a year and now it now right here where i uh, where i'm living near utica there's two different promotions that regularly you're putting on shows just it, it, it's unreal you, you, and down in new york down in the new york area especially in brooklyn uh multiple shows every everywhere you go every weekend of all different types and they all stink mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 oh, oh, but i've never seen anything nice. like it is now it, you, you know so I don't I don't know what it is because I don't go to a lot of it, you know. I mm-hmm. mean, is it is it the new punk rock? Is this really, you know, what it's something that that's going to involve evolve into a into the next step, or are there just a bunch of badly produced little shows going on everywhere? I don't know. Right, and that's yeah, that's one of the things out here in the Bay Area. There are. Yeah, there are a few indie promotions that run on a regular basis. Uh, All Pro Wrestling, 
uh, you've heard of, and they've run at the Cow Palace a couple of times. Yeah. Uh, so, something else called uh, West Coast Pro Wrestling. I think they're a relatively new promotion. And then there's um, a promotion in the Oakland area, I think, called uh, Hood Slam. Which, oh, uh, I've heard of them. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I haven't I haven't been there and I I I I'm not familiar with their 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 whole the whole milieu there, but uh I think one of their big chants is uh fuck the fans. So so I so I think uh <laughs> who who chants yeah, that? <laughs> I believe the fans do. You know, in a in another meta chant. Then again, I I have very little knowledge of Hood Slam, so I'll reserve judgment. But it's like, hmm, okay. So it's like it seems like it's I don't know if it's like taking on a sort of universe of itself, a kind of persona like Chikara or something. But yeah, that's Hood Slam. Or maybe they're just maybe they're just embarrassed that they actually came to the show and they feel bad about it and they and they need to let people know that they're embarrassed by it. <laughs> No, I'm joking. I'm not. Uh, gentlemen, <laughs> maybe they're just maybe they're just chanting at the two female wrestlers on the car. <laughs> well, gentlemen, a press release has come in from the Empire Wrestling Federation in Comac, Uh-oh. New York. December 12th, 1983, press release. Recently, the Empire Wrestling Federation made a tour through Ohio. Stops included Washington Courthouse and Mansfield. The match, M-A-T-C-H-S. The match held in these cities were exciting and full of action and surprises. Featured wrestlers included the likes of Bobo Brazil, the world-famous original Sheik, exciting as ever, Luis Martinez, Killer Kong, Eddie Miranda, the Russian assassin, Motorcycle Warrior <laughs> and Ivan Duco. Feature tag team action included the Impactos, Chief Bobby Whitefeather, and Chief Red Cloud. Also on hand was Johnny Valiant and his younger brother, Jules Valiant. Who the fuck is that? Jules Whoa. Valiant. <laughs> Featured attractions included midgets Danny Danny Carpenter and Little Diamond Jim. Girl attractions included Tina Carr and Yvette Duco. I'm guessing she's related to Ivan Duco. As a bonus match up there the was, Ducos, a, yeah. was a mixed it was a mixed tag team match. <laughs> the match included a girl and a midget wrestler against a girl and a midget. Yvette Duco and Little Diamond Jim against Danny Carpenter and Tina Carr. It was a lively and fun bout. The Empire Wrestling Federation will return to Ohio in the near future, as well as holding matches in New York and in New Jersey. And I have here a card from Washington Courthouse Fair, November 26, 83. The main event, Luis Martinez, the Ohio State champion versus the Sheik, the USA champion. And again, this is the Sheik in 1983. So the, the life after leaving the NWA before the NWA fell apart. <laughs> yeah, that's The Empire impressive. Wrestling Federation coming to your hometown. I remember when I first read that press release in my local paper. Uh, (laughs) Here's a show for you. This is, wow, this is an interesting one. Professional wrestling, Vega International Wrestling Promotions, 1929 Third Avenue, New York, New York, 10029. Hilda Negroni, president. 
Nelson Rivera matchmaker. Tonight's official lineup, November 18th, 1980, Our Lady of Guadalupe, Brooklyn, New York, 8 p.m. The main event, Pedro Morales versus The Hangman. Oh, my gosh. That was the main event of the first show I ever saw in Utica. The tag team. Pedro. Tag team. Let's see if the rest of this card is the same. Tell us. The tag team Please. bout, the Wild Samoans versus Dominic Danucci and Manuel Soto. Nope, but Danucci, I think, was on the shit first show I ever saw. <laughs> Special event for the, Ve- for the Vega New York State heavyweight title, the champion Sammy Rivera versus Dixie Panero, the former champion. And then time limit matches, Jose Estrada versus Angel Maravilla, Larry Sharp versus Steve King, and Don Serrano versus Angelo Gomez. Any wrestler may be changed for another of the same category without previous warning. Yeah, well, those guys were all working at WWF shows, TV tapings, and and local shows right in that same time frame. You named half a dozen people on that show that were at that were at shows that I saw in Utica regularly. What was the year on that? That was 1983? Uh, was it 83? I actually just threw it down. 1980. 1980. I, 1980. Yeah, and that, and like I said, the, the first shows I ever saw in Utica, WWF shows that had most of those guys on it, was in 1980. It's just it's funny that, uh, that, that uh, even name guys like Pedro Morales had to work these these outlaw type shows i don't know that could have been a wwf show i'll tell you what one more and then we got to add someone here tonight's card sanctioned by the international wrestling stars sheepshead bay brooklyn sheepshead bay senior high school april 15th 1988 the main event the iron Sheik versus freebird michael hayes special tag team match the rock and roll connection versus the south sea islanders special attraction ladies match Susan Sexton, the Australian women's champion, versus Venus, the bodyguard from New York City. Uh, Super Machine versus the Moondog. And then a special feature match, King Kong Brody versus Biala the Giant. Oh, God. And it says Biala, not Bialo. Biala the Giant. No smoking in the building, no audio or video recordings allowed, no throwing of objects or interfering with wrestlers or matches. Matchex, matchex, matches subject to change without notice. See how easy it is to bring exciting IWS action to your community. Join the growing list of groups and organizations that have profited and been entertained by IWS promotion, which offers a self-contained show, including ring, insurance, publicity, and everything necessary to make the wrestling event a profitable and carefree attraction call In, this, including ring including ring. <laughs> fancy <laughs> it's a self-contained show including ring insurance publicity and everything necessary to make the wrestling events a profitable and carefree attraction Never heard it put that way before, Dan. A carefree attraction. Carefree. That'd be a great group. The Carefree Wrestling Association. Just, well, we'll be there when we'll we be there. We'll start when we start. We'll, somebody will be there. Don't worry about it. You know? <laughs> yes. Main event is a laissez-faire death match. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs>
Uh, I'm trying to add someone here, and it looks like they may have changed. I'm assuming this is the same person. He just changed his screen name, but if not, we're adding someone I don't want on the show. We'll find out right now. Trying to add him. We'll see. It shows that it's ringing. I see an icon moving. Hello? Mike Sempervivi. I'm here. I wasn't sure if it was you because what did you change your screen? I'm not going to say it on the air and have listeners start harassing you, but you changed your uh, Skype screen name to something very interesting, a cool name, but I didn't realize it was you. I was searching for you. I was like, where the hell is he? I didn't realize it changed either until today when I was trying to call Roman. To be honest with you, I, I don't know <laughs> if there was a Microsoft thing or what, but but yeah, I don't know what it's tied into. But yes, the it, that that's fine if everyone knows since it's every fantasy football or other sports team name that I use. It is the Takata Monster Army. Yes, a, a ode to hustle because somebody's got to do it. But yes, yeah, that that I why it's that way I have no idea, and I should probably check that out actually. Well, welcome to Labor Day Star Wars. On the line with us right now, Mike, is the noted wrestling humorist Scott Cornish, the late Hello, Dan Mike. Farron. Hello, Dan. <laughs> you know, hopefully this goes hey, a lot Mike. better than the last time I was on with you. <laughs> and also, Lou Kippelman, the superstar producer from San Francisco. He's on the line as well. Lou, how are you, sir? I'm quite well, Mike. How are you? I have been actually doing my very best. I have been smoking plenty of Newports. I have been getting back into <laughs> drinking gin and bourbon. I am trying to trying to aspire to to your voice. I have given up on trying uh, to match jokes with Howard Baum, and now I'm going for that big breathy voice that you have, sir. Oh, very good. Uh, yeah, just uh, you know, put me down for a case of Natty Bow, and you know, <laughs> I think we'll be all right. And some of the Uts crab chips. <laughs> oh, they the delicious. Yes, you you need all the hun. You need all the Balmer traditions that you can get down here at the shore. Yes, sir. <laughs> oh, let's go O's. Well, hey, listen, guys, and there's so much I want to talk about, but onto this topic we were just doing. I want to finish this out because I just grabbed something else from this pile. Mike, we were talking about. I just got a bunch of stuff from my collection, and a large part of it seems to be New York specific, but Northeast indie stuff from the '80s. Like a lot of the small shows in Brooklyn and in Manhattan, really interesting stuff. But I found here a program for ICW, International Championship Wrestling. Let me see before I read any of this. I'm flipping through. This is ridiculous. If there's a year or anything that will connotate or demonstrate, I should say, what when this is from. It does not have a year. But it's ICW, International Championship Wrestling presents Thunderdome. Featuring rock and roll and wrestling. Oh. And there's a picture up here of Blackjack Mulligan. And then there's another one. I'm not quite sure. I mean, it's black and white. It looks like it could be Dick the Bruiser grimacing. But he, I know he wasn't booked by ICW, so I'm not sure who it is. But then I'm going to open this up. It says a little bit on the cover. <laughs> Again, it's rock and roll and wrestling. They have Blackjack Mulligan. And then it says, starring the dance craze groups of rock and roll. <laughs> in different locations, the Tokens, oh. the Dovells, <laughs> Bill Haley's Comets, and then it just like has the names of songs here. The Lion Sleeps Tonight, sure. Shake, Rattle, and Roll 12 Million, Tonight I Fell in Love, Worldwide Hits, Rock Around the Clock 42 Million. And one, of the guys from, one of the guys from the Dovells was actually a wrestler. His finishing maneuver was the Bristol Stomp. <laughs> That's pretty good. And then you open it up. The first thing you have is a full-page photo of Blackjack Mulligan. It says, Mulligan enters Thunderdome. Is it for money? 
or revenge. Only the Sheik knows. I, I see- thought it was going to be for rock and roll. <laughs> well, it's probably not for money. He can just print his own money. But ICW <laughs> no. says, just say no to drugs. And then you go to the next page here. A message from the president of International Championship Wrestling. Since the founding of International Championship Wrestling in 1983, I, Angelo Savoldi, president, have strived to make ICW the best wrestling organization possible and to bring you, the wrestling fan, the very best wrestlers that are available. We give the newcomers, as well as the veteran wrestler, the chance to compete in what we feel is the toughest, roughest, wildest sport in the world and to prove themselves in professional wrestling. Let me put this down and grab this one page. This is a pain in the ass to hold here. Uh, We try to treat everyone with the fairness that we look for when I was in the ring, showing partiality to no one. We book wrestlers on the basis of their ability, regardless of their color or sex. This is apparent in our booking some of the greatest men and women wrestlers in the world today. We will always strive to this end. We turn no one away who shows talent and the ability to wrestle. We here at ICW hope you will find all the wrestlers the best and most exciting professional wrestlers in the sport today. Let us hear from you, H-E-R-E. Let us hear from you. Please feel free to write us. And it's an address in Parsippany, New Jersey. Actually, not very far from where I live right now in Parsippany. Uh, and then there's a giant half-page photo of the tokens. Uh, and there's there's the tokens there. And then you go to the next page, and there's a couple of photos from the past. And then here's a photo of Heidi Lee Morgan. And then just random, like the Power Twins. ICW says, don't drink and drive. ICW says, don't be a dope, say no to drugs. Every page has some sort of, like, message for the younger fans, I guess. The Iron Sheik, one of the most controversial figures in professional wrestling, the man who admits to bribing the manager of Bob Backlund to throw in a towel. And because, and that's a new twist on that that I'd never heard before. He admits to bribing Bob Backlund. I had heard that, that yeah, that was a, an angle they brought up in ICW. And then here's a full-page photo of Bill Haley's comments. Notably missing, Bill Haley. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, it's Bill Haley's comments. And, uh, and then a picture of the Dovells and their giant afros. And then an ICW crossword puzzle with a lot of wrestlers who clearly do not wrestle for ICW here. And, uh, yeah, so there we go. There's a uh, ICW program. I'm going to assume this is 89 or 90. Yeah. Okay. Oh, my God. Well, you know, a couple of things. One, I learned how to spell Parsippany, New Jersey because of ICW. Because <laughs> I, I, And that's where I just figured, like, it was probably the basement of, like, you know, Joseph Aldi's house is where the, the whole operation was coming out of. But also, a lion, <laughs> the lion sleeps tonight, which is, like, when I think of ICW syndicated programming, well, one, I think of, obviously, Tony Atlas and Vic Steamboat, but I guess that would be more of the Sports Channel days, and them repeating that over and over. Yeah. But it was the only wrestling show, like WWE or WWF had, you know, David Bowie's Modern Love or whatever they would have going to break and things like that. Or, you know, as people started to do their own music, it was like heavy guitar, or, you know, heavy bass. And then, like, for ICW, like, they would go to commercial, and it would be The Lion Sleeps Tonight, which I... <laughs> Not really sure why, unless Les Thatcher picked, like, you know, the, the soundtrack to go out with. I just, I don't know, for some reason, that that and Bam Bam, Tom Brandy, uh, and King Kalua are about the only things I really <laughs> remember from syndicated ICW. Uh, you know what? You're not going to believe this, but 
I'm very fortunate. Tom Burke, who is not just a great wrestling historian, but he sells some memorabilia. And he's on eBay. I shouldn't say this because it'll spoil, you know, the things I want to buy. Other people jump in. But his name is Kay Fabian on eBay. And Tom sells something. It starts, I think, at $25 the bidding. It's called a pound plus of wrestling memorabilia where Tom literally, and he's been doing this for a long time. He's got a lot of stuff. He takes over a pound of stuff, just throws it in an envelope and sends it to you. And you have no idea what you're going to get. I got the coolest stuff. I got programs, newspaper clippings, postcards, like weird stuff, cool stuff from all over the place. And one of the things in this one, hold on, I'm going to go through this pile real quick. I think it's over here. Hold on, bear with me. This is the other pile. This is, first of all, one thing in here, I got my very first original copy of Ron Dobratz's Wrestling Information Bulletin. Like an original copy, not a, like not a photocopy or anything. So that's really cool. This is like the original newsletter that influenced Dave Meltzer. So uh, really cool to have this. And then let's see, AWA program, IWA information sheet, a a just a card from England, like an original flyer, BWA Wrestling News, the Journal of the British Wrestling Alliance. Hold on, this isn't it. Legends of the Ring. Uh, something in German. The Fabulous Kangaroos. Hold on, there's so much. Tom literally just threw so much stuff in here that I told him next time he does this, let me know. I'm just going to buy it all. Uh, (laughs) Hold on, where's the autographs? Oh, here we go. Again, random stuff. You don't know what you're going to get. Too Rich, Best Wishes, King Kalua. (laughs) Autograph photo. I don't know who Rich is, but I got the King Kalua autograph photo. This is the most shine he's gotten since 1989. He's gotten more mentions on this show than any show ever in two minutes. God, I just remember King Kalua as a guy who had a week uh, back to back matches on pro wrestling USA against uh, Rambo, Greg Gagne. Oh, wow. When they were, uh, I guess, at the Tropicana in Atlantic City, where King Kalua jumps uh, Gagne uh before the first match and then the next week uh Greg Gagne uh pins King Kalua and then throws him out of the ring because you know you don't jump Rambo Greg Gagne like that well Kalua used to do this face paint uh and then like one of the last times I ever saw him either a picture of him or a match that he was in or something like that he clearly had had now made like pieces of cardboard with his face paint on them and then just you know glued that to his face (laughs) (laughs) so much easier that way why why didn't i think of this before did the warrior like at the very end like in whatever 96 or something maybe i'm wrong like there were a couple times he didn't paint his face he just wore like a mask that you put no i'm thinking about when he came back actually that must be what it was right before he died there was the, the warrior mask that you kind of strap on over your face. That's what I'm thinking of. Uh, yeah. Excuse me while I babble about nothing. I apologize to the listeners. <laughs> well, that was still better than when he do like the rouge on the cheek, like you know the the, the small little like the logo on the Orange cheek. Mask, man. I never, yeah. That annoyed the hell out of me. Oh. Mm. That was like the glam period of Warrior. You know, he had long hair, but it was kind of like <laughs> yeah. messy. And then he won the world title, and he started like poofing it up and all of a sudden there were highlights in his hair he got very glam for a little while look like a star baby come on (laughs) 
Hey, Mike, uh, I wanted to ask you, you did uh, Observer Live tonight? I did. What was the uh, general consensus about the weekend? What did everyone think about the AEW show? And also, if you got any feedback on the AEW show versus the NXT show in terms of what people like more? Well, you know, a lot of it is what dividing line that you're on. And uh, it seems to have a lot to do with it. You know, there are some people that, you know, there's... It's just AEW, and I I guess it's just where we're at now uh, with discourse and everything else, with Twitter and everything. I mean, it was the greatest show in the world. NXT was the greatest show in the world. Uh, AEW is the worst show in the world. Uh, Adam Page is getting buried. Uh, Chris Jericho is fat and old. But Chris Jericho, yeah, it's whatever it is, somebody's got a hot take on it. And with (laughs) AEW, it's like buckshot. I mean, it's like they have a show, and it's like, bang, all over the place, you're going to have, you know, opinions. And and I hate to sound so generic with it, but that's kind of what it is. And I think that the most, the most solvent talking points coming out of it have been Adam Page was not built up in the best possible manner. And there were people, as you watch the show, even the, the most diehard of AEW fans that just weren't buying it. And that's one of the big takeaways is now that he has lost, he is obviously going to be a future chip of that company. You know, who is this guy? Why is he a hangman? What is he about? You know, we saw him go 20 minutes to against Kip Sabian. (laughs) That was his setup to face Chris Jericho. Why is he a hangman? Why is he exactly? Is, is it porn? Is it? Well, now we know he rides a horse, but like, that was one of the things it's like, he hasn't cut a promo on TV. I got three words for you. International sand sculptures. <laughs> <laughs> now that's a hangman. Yes. <laughs> Damn tootin'. <laughs> so that's like, I think that's one of the biggest things, you know, you can debate Jericho. And then from there, it starts getting into more minutia of what you like and what you don't like. You know, if you like the women's division and how they're presenting it, if you like Darby Allen and Joey Janela, then, you know, again, from there, it starts to get broken up. But I think that's the biggest thing coming out of it is the matches are a little bit too long. And I think they their their juxtaposition of the 31 flavor stuff is my biggest deal coming out of it, because you can have 31 flavors on a show and give everybody a little of what they want. But how you slot it and how you present it is going to be, you know, uh, determines how far it's going to go. Because to have the the Super Smash Brothers, the Dark Order, who are not over at all, to have them try to follow, you know, the completely ridiculous Cracker Barrel match, it was like, you know, <laughs> granted, nothing may help that group as a tag team, but that's exactly what you didn't want to do. And just there were some things that were way out of place. How How was Adam Page, who's not over at all, supposed to follow Kenny Omega, Phoenix, and, and Pentagon, and, and those guys doing that type of match. They, they just couldn't. Scott, any thoughts? You, you, you had some good hot takes last time. <laughs> oh, I, I, I don't know. It, it, he he uh, might just, just crystallized a couple of those things, this idea of 31 flavors where you have to present something for everybody every time and then it becomes a bunch of <laughs> bunch of nonsense i it, uh it, it's not almost not even worth bringing up this business of standing around waiting for people to dive on you uh, <laughs> it's not it's not just their problem but it's a but it's a big problem <laughs> on every show and in every match scu is supposed to be considered a, you know one of one of the top teams in that in that match last night 
with one of the hottest acts that they have going, they all just had to stand around like dummies in the ring, out of the ring, just stand there like idiots who've never stepped in a ring just to allow all that stuff to unfold, just to be standing there when it's time to fall over. And that's a frustrating thing for me because it's like I got to use two brains and there are just times that because Wrestling Observer Live is the most mainstream of mainstream kind of shows where it's you get general sports takes from general wrestling fans and it's you know it's struggle sometimes but it's like it's not even worth trying to fight the battle of like why Riho and and why her defeating Hikaru Shida makes absolutely no sense to me why to to try to present to people with a critical eye of why guys standing around with these contrived moves why it's not so cool why I believe a wrestling match that's got Cody Rhodes in it uh, serves purposes far better than a stunt show. Because I think, Brian, you were the one who tweeted this out. It's like, is the move really that awesome if you're sitting there quiet and you're waiting for the buildup and you see the stunt being built up and then the stunt happens and it's like, oh, that was awesome. This match is great. Like, yeah. really, was it? Yeah, you know, and it's unfortunately I, I got to work with two brains that way. And it's, you know, on Observer Live, it's like you just got to throw my hands up because, you know, it's almost unarguable because there's there's so much that's being lost and you don't want to be accused of shaking your fist at the cloud like Jim Cornette. But there's just a lot of stuff you look at and it's like this just isn't good, period. At the end of the day, it's just not fluid and it's just not very fun. Yeah, you know, I said it a little bit earlier. I thought too much of it to me is WWE light or WWE-esque or even worse than WWE. Like, you know, I, I brought it up earlier. The librarian you, walking on the books Ugh. to get back into the battle. That whole battle royal pissed me off. I know. And then I read there are people who love it. They're like, oh, it was so much fun. It was so great. There was way too much of people. The standing around waiting for people to jump on you is bad. And that get, it's getting worse and worse. It's almost like the dusty finish. Where as soon as you see people lining up on the floor, everyone turns and they're just waiting for the dive. Yes. They know it's coming. They know the run-in's coming <laughs> and the baby face is going to fucking be all right. You know, they know it. Uh, but it's that and it's just there's a general, I don't know if it's because of the choreographed nature of the matches, but like the private party match, I think they're good. I think they got something. But there is too much of the people have to wait for you to set things up. Because you're doing something that... You don't need to do, and it takes you a while to do it. Everyone has to wait. It's just, a, and I feel like that. I'm not in the match, and I feel like I'm just waiting. I see what they're about to set up, and I'm like waiting and waiting. And fuck, I'm not a wrestling fan anymore. I, I just, I don't. I don't well, there's I too do. much shit. There's too much shit. Darby Allen's got something. He's a little small, little bastard, and you know, in the grand, in, in historical wrestling terms. You know, what would you do with him? But in today's age, you can do something with him. But the more you have him out there with the Havocs, with the Janellas, with all that other shit, it lessens him. And it lessens him having something. It lessens him being that guy, that standout, that guy who's going to do the weird stuff, whether you like it or not. And they they beat too much of it to death. It's like during the matches, you know, they went on. Everything went on for way too long. New Japan builds a show in a different way. And even then... Oftentimes, New Japan shows go on for too long. So even if you build it properly, it's a little much. And everything they did last night was just, it was all a little too much in excess. I thought it was their worst show. I know some people thought I was being a little too harsh when I said that. I thought it was their worst show of all of their shows so far. For me, again, I know everyone likes, there are people who thought that Young Bucks match was the greatest thing ever. And I was just thoroughly bored with it so it's a different thing but i just 
I don't know. We'll see how this TV goes. We'll see. <laughs> I, I need as much Cody as I can get. I need because I don't. It's just one of those things like people love Will Ospreay or they'll love, you know, whoever. I'm still going to prefer an Okada, you know, and, and for me of what they offer, what Cody has been involved with so far, most of that has been the things that have been right up my alley. So I'm going to be needing a steady diet of that as well as some other people doing that. If I'm going to have to stomach as much as the, the Omega stuff and as much of that stuff as possible. Although I hope with Pac, if he's going to be a regular thing now, I think they jump started that, that thing with Omega, I think worked out well. And if they do a triangle with them and John Moxley, that may be up my alley. Well, that yeah. concludes, <laughs> killed it with AEW talk. Thank this concludes you. the not, AEW portion of the program. What were we going to say, Scott? And, and not to harp on it, but let's leave the dog at home from now on. Jesus, yeah. yeah I did read something yeah. about that, and, and I didn't see the whole story. So tell me, is it true Cody Rhodes has his dog now as, is it an emotional support animal that he travels with? Is that what it is? Man, that's what rich people do. I'm no, in the house. I'm, I'm, I'm asking a serious question. Is, is oh, I, 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 I think he does. I think he, he does. And that was one had, of the debates. He had. They had a photo of them with the dog on their plane on their flight in, and the dog had like a service dog vest on. Um, and does Cody the, have any disability? I mean, I'm asking a very, very serious question. I'm not being funny. Does Cody have yeah. any disabilities that we don't know about, or or that aren't publicly talked about, or anything? Hey, I don't. I don't know. Filling his hippo there. <laughs> well, you know, if you set fireworks off next to that dog again, he's going to need an emo- emotional support animal. That, that, that was the, that was the real problem. It wasn't the thing on yeah. the plane necessarily, which was was bad enough. But that poor dog was, you know, brutal. And that dog is being run around. You know, I don't know. They know better than I do. Does that dog want to be in front of? hundreds and thousands of people every every time they take him across the country somewhere uh and that pyro thing was really bad that dog just yeah i mean it's shaking a, it's, walking to the ring there's a reason yeah. lassie only works small rooms you know well, well yeah <laughs> on top of the fact that that was a pet that was not a working dog i mean can, can literally old dogs learn new tricks because like that was their pet they got thrust into the scene and like you know the the plane thing was just like one of those things in the hospitality industry i've seen I've seen every gimmick to, for somebody to have their animal with them, you know, their, their pet guinea pig as a support animal stuff. And you're supposed to have limitations on it, but you also can't beat it to death either. And sometimes it's like you got to turn your head at it. And I think it's just a douchey thing to do if you don't have any disabilities. So they're being complete douches. And I hope they hear this if that's the case. But they were just being straight assholes and being terrible pet owners and everybody involved, I mean, for just, you know, and I get it to a point that they were concentrating on bigger things. So maybe they didn't think of the dog, but good. Think of the dog next time, you idiots. Yeah, they were concentrating on bigger things like, where do we get Star Trek uniforms? The and we can come that? to the ring. <laughs> what was that? Was there any, I don't watch there being the elite or any of that stuff. Was there any Neither sort of like science fiction backstory to why all of a sudden Dallas Page, Brandy, MJF, and Cody were dressed like they're from... Star. I mean, it wasn't even like a generic space show. It literally looked like they were from Star Trek. What's the story there? It's it's Cody wanting his presentation to look like the big WWE entrances on a show like WrestleMania. Hunter gets a big entrance. Well, I guess we're, we'll we'll just come up with something here because uh, that's what everybody wants to see. 
it, everything he does is sort of, and I like him in the ring, you know, but everything he does is just sort of overdone and overproduced. And, uh, you know, God forbid we don't mention Dusty every five minutes, you know. Cody is <laughs> the biggest star in Cody's world. And <laughs> really mm, yeah. Cody's a big <laughs> fan of Cody. He's a big fan. Uh. Yeah, you cue up that Terrell Owens. I love me so me. Like, yes, yes, you do. And yeah, mm-hmm. the, the entrance, I mean, it's it's almost he's self-aware enough he's got to be to know that he's doing it but there's also like there's he doesn't realize how out of balance i think it comes across to everybody else i think with some of him it's like oh they'll take this as some tongue-in-cheek there's like part of that and part like dead serious but i don't think they know how it comes across i think to the general public of like you can leave this alone now because you talk about not being petty and that's all you're doing is being completely petty about all of this steph and hunter Last night I tweeted out, I said, who's picking the shitty music for AEW? And then someone wrote, Tony's sister, Shaka. And uh, <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> Not that you guys would yeah. be happy about this, but it's like there's West Side Gun, Griselda, who's very big right now in the hip hop community. And it's like somebody slide somebody there some beats or something or some of the music that they've had. It is when it comes to their production, there's a lot of, you know, depending on how you think of it, but one general thumbs down all the way across the board has got to be the music. Yeah. You should have someone pick it. Who's actually gone out to listen to bands and like end of the night getting laid. Yes. Not music that, that you drive touch. home alone to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> self hug, self high five. There yeah. you go. Yeah. Bingo. Yeah. Bingo. Yes. Speaking of DDP. Yeah. yeah. DDP. <laughs> DDP, who's dressed up, I said on the mothership. Well, it's good to see DDP uh, dressed as Worf with no prosthetics needed. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. Dan, you've been quiet. Are you still around over there, or have you passed away once again? Oh, no, I'm, <laughs> no, I'm still here. It's just uh, I just been enjoying uh, all the conversation about. Uh, about all this stuff because i didn't see any of the show yesterday all, all i heard about was the the dog got scared by the fireworks that's about all i know about it so uh when the weekend comes for me i, I work a long week so when the weekend comes I, I i had to pick and choose what i watched so i like i said i watched nxt cardiff and that was about it see that's the problem with the wrestling business nowadays if that dog had a union then something <laughs> like that would never happen <laughs> but because the wrestling isn't unionized they tortured that poor dog. Yeah. Well, I was thinking about calling Marty Funk because when she and Dory were at Talisalara Alley, one of the reasons why they were charging was to raise money for the Humane Society. And I thought maybe we should need to get her fixated on, on helping that dog. Oh, man, that would be su- that may push the Jim Cornette <laughs> AEW feud aside if it turns into AEW versus Marty Funk. That would yeah. be, a, but that would, <laughs> see, that would be a short-term feud, and then we'd go back to the big feud of Jim versus AEW. Yeah, right. She she can't work a long program. She'll, you know, it'll, it'll be a hot <laughs> angle to start, and then she'll burn those fans out, and you have to get her out of the territory <laughs> quick. <laughs> oh man, well, you know, Cody's bringing in all the, you know, all the heritage players anyway from uh, Dusty's feuds. So why why not Dunks? Uh, uh, kind of nutty wife. We should do a poll. Yeah. We should like bet. Like when will Cody bring in Magnum TA? When will Cody bring in, you know, just a list of people. Oh, it's that coming. Know. <laughs> yeah. 
It's absolutely coming. Nikita. Oh, yeah. When is Nikita going to be there? Uh, uh, Manny Fernandez, imagine? please pick up the white courtesy phone. Manny <laughs> Fernandez. <laughs> the Billy wow, Corgan NWA Italian. bidding war. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> who, who wants to bring it? Seriously, because I can see, you can see, like you know, Jimmy Valiant of like you know. Again, I don't. I have. I have no idea what the hell the end of, and it's coming up. It's like the end of September, the beginning of October. They're gonna film TV, and it's like, I know you're doing this in Atlanta, but unless you do something, why couldn't you just do this at Championship Wrestling from Hollywood? Like why? Like, I don't know. I, I I guess I appreciate the chutzpah, but it's like I have absolutely no idea what in the hell they're going to do. I think the idea oh, somewhere. of a modern studio – I'll go to you in a second, Dan. I'm sorry. I think the idea oh, okay. of a modern studio show is a good idea because it's a change of pace from everything else. And also, you have to modernize it. You have to make it look so it doesn't look old, but you also have to make it so it doesn't look so modern and quick and guys yelling at you and quick cuts. But it is – I think the most effective way to get a wrestler over is the studio setting. You, know, you have to train people. You have to reintroduce things. You have to do it in a good way. Now, with that said, I have no faith in the people currently doing it and doing it the right way. But I think the concept is somewhat sound, but you also need people operating it with a good crew to know what they're doing. Well, to me, basically, Full Sail feels like studio wrestling to some extent, I think. Yeah. I mean, and that, that seems to work. You know, uh, but like with all these, with all this, these opportunities opening up, you know, I got to feel like, you know, guys like Pez Watley somewhere right now are training for a comeback. <laughs> so they got a chance. Some George South and the Thunderfeet are all working out somewhere hey. saying, got a chance to come back. Jai yeah, Cones 2020. <laughs> I think the NXT looks, it looks mostly like more like uh, studio wrestling than anything. And I know they keep saying, oh, if, 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 AI, if AEW does well, they're going to move it out of there. But I think I would just leave it there. I think it's fine there. Mm-hmm. I really do. I think, it's, mm-hmm. you know, maybe the audience gets a little jaded. But still, uh, one of the reasons why I enjoy their TV show is because of that, that close atmosphere. I think it's time for Mike Jackson to, to fuel up the van again. <laughs> And get some of the boys down there. Or uh, Italian Stallion can can put all the guys in the van and take them halfway to the city, then stop and, and charge them $100 if they want to go the rest of the way, like they used to do to the Hardy Boys all the time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Do you know the, the type of prestige that in, this, in the, the days of ironic wrestling, what kind of prestige the Alabama Junior Heavyweight Championship could have right now? <laughs> It would be at a higher level than the Cruiserweight Championship, that's for sure. There aren't, yeah, any, local, there aren't any big locally named wrestling, indie wrestling companies. I mean, everything's like, you know, Game Changer or Defiant or the, nothing's yeah. like, you know, Central Ohio Championship Wrestling. Yeah. <laughs> like, nothing actually <laughs> says the name of the area anymore. Very few of <laughs> CWF Mid-Atlantic is <laughs> what is the, the CWF only one stand for then? Well, championship. Well, what the hell did it stand for? It was championship wrestling from from Mid Atlantic or something like that? That's how they got around the uh, the Mid Atlantic ferry mark. Right. Sure. All yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> At least they got it in the name, for Christ's sakes. <laughs> uh, hold on. I'm trying to see if this see, people keep person. people keep people keep talking about a wrestling boom, and people keep forgetting that boom is part of the word kaboom which is very easy what happened with a lot of wrestling shows. And, and 
uh, a lot of this stuff is going to just be overkill. There's just way too much to watch. There really is. Well, I mean, one thing we didn't like, there was a New Japan show in the UK that was sold out and it had uh, a main event of Okada and Minoru Suzuki. And Minoru Suzuki put on an epic performance. And I mean, and that's a big name on a big show from a big company. And how many people are going to see it because of the fatigue of the weekend? Yeah. Because there were two other shows on that were easier to watch. You know, it's, it is amazing the amount of riches that we have at this point. Although... You know, I don't look for, and granted, it's like being a kid, but I don't look forward to it as much as I did those, you know, 20 hours that I get in my area of syndicated wrestling programming every week, you know, back when I was a kid, because at least that was all different. And it just, I don't know, it was obviously, it was a different time, but still it's, you know, I, I see all of this stuff out there and how much of it is actually penetrating people. How many people are actually becoming wrestling fans become of it, you know, for, for, for a long term. Well, heavy thoughts leave empty minds, apparently, here on the show. Is, is, any, is anyone there? Uh, I was going to say, I mean, I've pretty much killed everything on The Observer, for Christ's sakes. That's why Jim Valley's there for everything at this point now. But, man. <laughs> Damn. Boy, if Jim Valley didn't invent the selfie, he certainly has popularized it. What is it? The stern? He's had a stern selfie. Well, it's, he always makes the same like expression in the selfie. That's his thing, I think. But what is that? Like, it's either he's smelling a little bit of something, or he's looking down <laughs> at something. It's it's almost it's like it's Goodfellas on the poster, but a little bit like I, I don't know. It's I'm not sure exactly what's going on. There. I see it as kind of like, yep, I'm here and you're not. That's the well, <laughs> yeah, that's definitely he's going to like Dubai next week. <laughs> it's like he's got the best gig. The God bless his wife. Hmm. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, it's a, it's a better selfie look than like. Colt Cabana, you know, catching flies with his mouth. Yeah, what the fuck? <laughs> I think that's the original reason I started hating his show. Every time I saw the image, it was him sticking his tongue out. Yeah. <laughs> these, these guys have no respect for tradition. When you take a picture with somebody else, a selfie with a wrestler, especially pointing finger from at least yeah. one of you, if not both. <laughs> pointing, pointing back. My favorite. Yes. <laughs> we well, also uh, have to make that's another thing you gotta do this fist sometimes you know what nobody ever does anymore that i wish they would do would be the picture of like the one guy who's like coming to get you and the tag team partner like ah like you know watch out he's coming to get you <laughs> I, i'll have to put I'll look i'll have to provide photographic evidence you, you'll know what i'm talking about once you see it i swear <laughs> yeah yeah i don't know can we can we nip in the bud this new uh, this new meme of a uh, wrestling fan doing the prom pose with whatever diva uh, is available for photo ops. What? I haven't seen Why that. Do have, you, have you not seen that? No. What, oh, what? They, oh, yeah. 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 Wait, what do like, you mean? They, it, they show up in their tuxedo? No, but it's like sweaty, bald guy, uh, <laughs> you know, kind of standing behind Alexa Bliss and, and putting his arms around her arms, that sort of thing. It's uh, you know, just missing the boutonniere and the corsage. Trying to it's it, it's all it's kind her. of just. I haven't yeah. seen that. No, I can't believe the women are allowing oh. that. Yeah, that's surprising. I've seen on the women's. I've faces. seen Beck. Yeah, I've seen Becky in a photo like that, and it's horrifying. I feel very bad for her, even though she's getting paid. <laughs> I can't but, see uh, Becky anymore without thinking of Pee Wee from the mu from the movie The Wanderers. 
You go back and you watch the Wanderers and you watch Pee Wee. Hey, what you? I can't do the voice. What you say? Kid? I can't do the voice at all. My voice just like lost, went away all completely. But you go back and you watch the Wanderers and you watch Pee Wee and you realize it's the same facial expression as Becky and it's almost even the same voice, even though she's not doing an Irish accent or anything. Go back and watch it. You, you won't be able to lose that thought afterwards. There are even some guys now who, when they take it's not just wrestlers, but guys that would, when they take a, a selfie with women, uh, Keanu Reeves is one who does this. He makes sure that you see that his hand is not touching the woman he's standing next to. That's reaching out beyond it. He's not being a creep by grabbing her, you know, by the waist. Yeah, the best, <laughs> the best is still Robin Thicke years ago when he took that picture after the VMAs with the girl. And he didn't realize there was a mirror right behind him and it had his hand just handful of ass. And then his <laughs> wife left him. You know? <laughs> that was the best. <laughs> well, that was Alan Thick's thing, wasn't it? Was he not a... Was it an Alan Thick's thing to grab women's asses? Well, I don't know, but at least as far as being a, a I don't want to say a womanizer, but a... Um, a man on the scene, uh, the, the non-Kirk Cameron, uh, <laughs> uh, a legend, legendary Hollywood coxman, <laughs> Canadian coxman. If you were a Canadian yes. star who wrote the theme to Different Strokes, wouldn't you be out there just laying that pipe? <laughs> Come on, <laughs> be grabbing as much ass as possible. <laughs> yeah, lots of lots of side chicks while he was uh, married to Gloria Loring from uh, <laughs> of Our Lives. <laughs> Do the thick of the night. Uh, <laughs> Do they exist Stay anywhere the on night. DVD? <laughs> I don't DVD, know. DVD, no us. way. No way. Come on. The, him and, him and <laughs> Chevy show. <laughs> the Chevy right. show. Oh, my God. <laughs> Someone should That's do something like, with that. There's something to be done with that where you could put them together with commentary. And then even like cringeworthy commentary where someone sits down with Chevy to watch those. And you just know it'll be really uncomfortable and awkward. And then Chevy will... <laughs> say some really inappropriate things and not understand why everyone else is upset. And the same thing always happens with Chevy Chase. Every like five years, there's an article in the paper, like Chevy Chase doesn't understand why the SNL cast hates him. Chevy Chase doesn't understand why he doesn't hear from his old friends in Holly. Like every five yeah. years, there's a whole series of articles. The same thing keeps happening. Right. Yeah. Oh, that would be fun to do a, yeah director's commentary track and just ply him with gin and Percocet oh. <laughs> and, and see him try to be funny. I remember uh, when he did the Chevy Chase roast, which was a disaster. Al Franken, yeah. one of the few SNL people to show up. He was funny because you remember Chevy had to go to rehab because he had a problem with, with, well, the way Al Franken says he was, I remember when Chevy had to go away because of his problem with back pills. <laughs> and I remember the guy who used to sell Chevy his back pills. He used to come around in SNL. I think his name was Kenny Sunshine or whatever he said. <laughs> and it's the one time Chevy pops because Al Franken names his Coke dealer. In the <laughs> it's the only time Chevy reacted the whole fucking roast. He sat there stone-faced while people who never met him before talked about what an asshole he is. <laughs> yeah. I just remember his ending promo to that, too, of just like, hey, yeah, fuck you, everything, bye, bye. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, that's, yeah, I don't know if you if you guys watch Community or not, but the, the guy who created it, Dan Harmon, um, 
yeah, Dan Harmon had like a weekly sort of podcast performance thing in L.A., and he he played the voicemail, uh, angry voicemail he got from Chevy Chase. It that I guess Dan uh, Harmon in front of the cast and crew and everybody told uh, did a toast to Chevy Chase and said, "Oh, here's a hearty fuck you," <laughs> and 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 so and so he played this voicemail of Chevy Chase leaving this aggrieved and 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 pissed off message as just like man that is on brand Chevy Chase angry and not very funny <laughs> remember the best line from that roast though may have been Stephen Colbert who at the end of it goes and there's one thing you could be happy about when you leave here remember he's Chevy Chase and you're not <laughs> 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 who's wrestling's version of chevy chase i mean other than the fact that george Goulas kind of looked like him but i mean like in terms of someone who a lot of early potential went to their head turned into a massive asshole to destroy their entire career but they're still around and every now and then they get a chance hmm. you know that could have been gino if he would have lasted <laughs> <Did> he? um <laughs> Because if you think about it, too, it's like, you know, a guy like Gino Hernandez, yeah, he could have been a big star, but he also could have flamed out, too, by saying the wrong thing to the wrong person or something like that, or, hmm. Well, he's having a big weekend, but maybe Tully. Yeah, you know what? Yeah, mm. yeah talk about a guy who was, yeah, great worker, but a locker room lawyer. You know, not to the extent of being an asshole, but in some ways, Austin Idol. Like, oh, mm. oh dear. Lots of potential, and then, like, you know, he leaves and then every now and then he would show up and then he would leave and then he would come back and then he would leave. It was kind of like Chevy. Well, I guess well, not. With, I shouldn't use well, that. Well, with Idol, Idol was flaky, whereas Tully was self-destructive, whether it be because of his mouth or his attitude. Or, and that would be more of a Chevy, you know, How about and never Al as Perez? smart as he thought he was. How about Al Perez? It's another good one. Who thought he was yeah. a lot smarter than what he was, which got him in trouble and tougher. He was in the movie Cop and a Half, played an extra in the background during one of the scenes. After he still have the luxurious S curl uh, sprayed hair. Let me tell you, I watched that a few years. He did, by the way. Uh, <laughs> he, and so did uh, Lightning Lou Perez. But I watched that movie a few years back, and it was so awful, but I was dying. I was laughing so hard because <laughs> you're watching it, and it's such a bad movie and such a bad premise, and the script's awful. But it's wonderful because Burt Reynolds clearly does not want to be making this movie. And he cop and a half with him and some unknown kid is the co-star just driving around Florida doing it. But it's such a funny movie. I laughed my ass off watching that. So a guilty pleasure, cop and a half. Can you imagine him in the testing process of that? Like, we couldn't even get Webster. Like, this is what you're sticking me with. Hey, you're the one who lost all your money, pal. Let's go. It's We're always, letting you at least keep your hair on. It's always interesting oh, when God. they change something. I was just, I don't know why I was reading this today. Again, the things that, I obsess over for 10 minutes and I read everything about, but the Bobcat Goldwaith movie, was it, what was it? Hot to trot? Was yes. That the one? Yes. yes. Appar oh, yeah. Apparently the yeah. horse was originally voiced by Elliot Gould, but it didn't test well. So they replaced him with John Candy who decided <laughs> to just like destroy the script and just improvise the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> so a little information. I forgot it. I had forgotten that John Candy was the voice I'll of Don the horse. Don the horse. Yeah. <laughs> How bad does your voiceover in one of the worst movies ever conceived have to be for test audiences to say, 
No, no, the the the, the hoarse voice doesn't just. Not authentic enough. Why didn't Andrew Dice Clay? Is that why he decided to shit on him in the balcony that one day? <laughs> that was amazing. My my dad was there that day uh, with his friend. They went. It was I think at the Westbury Music Fair. It was it was Dice Clay live, and in the middle of it, he starts talking about Barbara Streisand because that was real topical in like 1993 or whatever. And he's like, "She used to fuck a guy named Elliot. How do you fuck a guy?" And they, all of a sudden, they show in the crowd. There's Elliot Gould sitting in the fucking crowd wow. while he's ripping on Barbara Streisand, fucking a guy named Elliot. Oh, I mean, God. So funny. It had to be. They had to tell him in advance, Elliot Gould's here. Make sure you make a Barbara joke or something. But it was so awkward that you show him sitting there and he's not laughing or reacting. He's doing a Chevy. He's just sitting there. He may have even been wearing sunglasses and he's just not flinching. And it's just so weird because he obviously knows the camera's right in his fucking face. Wow. Yeah. What was that shitty show he did with Moriarty or what was it called? Because I remember the commercials was like Andrew Clay, no dice. And it was like the new Andrew. And then I think that's I think that's like right after that, when that show completely crapped the bed. I think that's like that was the first stand up he did after it. And it was like, I guess he was getting his mojo back on Elliot Gould, of all people. (laughs) <laughs> I think there were two different shows. One was Hits, where he was like yeah. a record producer. And that was then, uh, the UPN show, yeah. Yeah, and then there was one where he was like a mailman, and if it wasn't UPN, it may have been WB or something. CBS. No, that was the one with Moriarty or whoever it was, where it was like the, the new Andrew. <laughs> Andrew Clay. Drew. <laughs> if he really wanted to be new, he should have used his real name, Andrew Silverstein. That would have <laughs> really fucked with people's heads. Like, what the fuck? He's not Italian? <laughs> all right well, he was so funny casual sex casual sex was such an awful movie but when i was a kid it was like oh my god there's gonna be like naked women and sex in USA, usa up all night type of celebration for me at that age but even that was the point <laughs> there wasn't enough shit going on there wasn't enough naked women if you're watching cinemax and showtime and if your parents happen to have the playboy channel and you know how to access it you're seeing lots of really great shit and then you see that leah thompson doesn't get nude not that I really were in, was into Leah Thompson and what Victoria Jackson. She, she, I don't know. <laughs> Another one you're not. In. You were you were already into the bikini car wash company. For an eight year old, I was pretty disappointed with the smut in that movie. To be quite honest. Oh, the the Dice Clay sitcom was called Bless This House. Bless this house. Bless. <laughs> Join me and Kathy Moriarty. Ow! <laughs> no, that's whether he didn't have the voice. He should have done. See, that would have been funny. Like the first episode, he just started doing a nursery rhyme, and then I changed it at the end. Hickory oh. dickory, I can't do this on CBS. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's back when he was trying to be the the new dice. He was going to be the the gentler, yeah, right, uh, kinder dice. Andrew, which lasted all five minutes. Yeah, Andrew Nice Clay. Andrew Nice, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See, I love Ford Fair. I know I've said it a million times. Ford Fairlane. One of the great movies of all time. That's a great bad movie. That's one of those ones. If it comes on, like you get caught in watching it and it's like there, again, there are far worse movies out there, but like there there are some bad Remo Williams. There are some bad movies that it's just like, I got to keep on if they're on, even if I don't love them just because they're just so ridiculous. Gilbert Gottfried is Johnny Crunch, the DJ (laughs) that Dice knew from Brooklyn. And he goes in there, he goes, Johnny Crunch, you whatever, you big piece of crap. And then I remember his response, because his name is Ford Fairlady. He goes, 
Suzuki Samurai, you Bensonhurst piece of shit. <laughs> so, <laughs> one of those lines that always stayed with me, Gilbert Gottfried. Between that and like Beverly Hills Cop 2, he had a couple, a problem child. He had a couple really funny small roles, like within a three, four year period that he never appeared in another good movie ever again. I love Gilbert Gottfried. Uh, back uh, when I, I was working in, in Los Angeles, uh, right after he got fired from Saturday Night Live, that, the horrible version of Saturday Night Live when they tried to switch over. And I had gone into the sandwich place. Yeah, I had gone into the sandwich place late in the afternoon, and there was nobody in there except Gilbert Gottfried and like three friends. And I sat down there, and they were talking to him, and they were trying to make him feel better because he was very, very depressed that he had been fired. And finally, he, he yells out in, in that voice, that, that, he, that his character voice, he yells out, do you know how bad it feels to be fired from the worst show on television? <laughs> and, uh, and that's what they were, they were trying to basically, they were, they were, they were, they were suicide watching uh, Gilbert Gottfried, who was, you know, was this, I figured his career was over at that point. Little did he, did he realize uh, that there was much more to come. By just playing Gilbert Gottfried, like whether it was... A third base video or the Cosby show or anything. It was like Gilbert Gottfried as Gilbert Gottfried. And it was great. Like as opposed to a Bobcat Goldthwait or somebody like that. I mean, I'd, <laughs> no offense to anybody if they're a big fan of Bobcat, but like of guys who would just play themselves, basically, man, he was so great. at <laughs> Gilbert Gottfried is awesome. I saw him a year or two ago. And I saw him do stand-up. Over the course of two years, I saw him do stand-up like three times. And it was fantastic. But after yeah. the third time, I said, oh, this this act has not changed in the two years that I've seen him. <laughs> it was exactly the same. Uh, but it was still great. But it was funny. The first two times, the audiences couldn't have been any different. And the first crowd that I saw him perform for was kind of young. I, it was college town and a not at a college, but a college age crowd. And this was just a couple of years ago. So, so the, the current uh, social mores are in effect. And that audience didn't boo him, but there was a lot of quiet moments because they were like, is that, are we allowed to laugh at this kind of a thing? And I went, oh my God, look how bad it's gotten, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and, and then maybe a few months later, I saw him with a, with a, with a, a, a I guess I'll say an older audience and, and same act that went over like crazy. Yeah. And his podcast, if anybody gets a chance to listen to it, is really a gem. I love it. It's one of my favorite things. Free plug <laughs> while you're waiting for the next, next very, 65 to come. Very good. And, and Bobcat Goldthwait, may I recommend what was called the the uh, Citizen Kane of Alcoholic Clown Movies. Shakes, <laughs> shakes the Clown. Shakes it. Oh, that was Bobcat's uh, directorial debut, a tour de force. I, I got to say, I've got a, that's say one of my guilty pleasures. <laughs> uh, with, he's, actually, uh, uh, he's actually turned into a, a respectable comedy director in recent yeah. years, and nothing truly sensational although he did a documentary that everyone should see uh called call me lucky about yeah. his friend the late uh, barry crimmins uh comedian who had a real difficult tortured life passed away just a year or so ago but i got to see goldthwaite and barry 
at a local premiere for uh, Call Me Lucky, and it was right. really a great evening, a great experience. And yeah. when he does stand up now, he no longer does the uh, police the character. Persona, he doesn't do the yeah. character anymore. Yeah. And it, yeah, tying it back to wrestling, I was surprised to find out that Bobcat was the AA sponsor of Roddy Piper. What? That's yeah. right. That yeah. was, yeah, Piper revealed that on, on his podcast and had Bobcat on as a guest. Yeah, you had him on a couple of times. So let me tell you a little bit about myself. I hate when people do impersonations of me. I would never do that, Roddy! <laughs> 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 Uh, I didn't know that. Interesting little tidbit there. Damn. Yeah, let me Guy yeah. shakes the clown. Is the, <laughs> was I the only one? Granted, now I was way too oversexed. If I Julie Brown. Does oh, yes. Downtown Julie girl. Brown or, or white Julie Brown? White Julie white Brown. Girl Julie Man, Brown. I want downtown Julie Brown. Well, but my thing is just like, because I just was thinking wubba, about this. Wubba, wubba, wubba. <laughs> MTV was, was like, did she I'm ever hear Lou her? say that? <laughs> Did she ever have a career outside of MTV? I mean, I, did she do stand up? I like, I remember a couple of acting roles, but I thought that was because she was on MTV. She, did she do anything else? She did some comedy albums. She had a song that yeah. was actually pretty funny called "The Homecoming Queen's Got a Gun," and, and then the the other song "Earth Girls Are Easy." Earth which, Girls Are uh, Easy. That became right. a movie. Yeah, yeah I remember the movie. <laughs> yeah, with her and I think Jeff Goldblum. Or, yeah, yeah, sounds right. Yeah. Well, you know, to tie that in back to our our uh, uh, Alan Thick story earlier, uh, <laughs> is that uh, actually uh, she was on TV and told a story one time about uh, she actually slept with Alan Thick uh, one night, and uh, <laughs> in the middle this. of uh, them, uh, it, was, it was some talk show or whatever it was, some some interview show, and she said, you know, she was. She was in bed with Alan Thick, and all of a sudden, his son ran in and started screaming, "Go, Daddy, go! Go, Daddy, go!" They ran out of the room again. <laughs> Robin Thick, hype man. All right. Yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Some people have a weak man. Some guys have hype men. <laughs> that was the first thing that crossed my mind when you guys started talking about that, and I thought, "Ah, I won't bring it up. Nobody's going to remember Julie Brown, so why should I bring it up?" But it's funny right. that it came all the way around the circle. I heard that used to happen in the Nashville office all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but what do I know? Oh, no. Oh, boy, oh, boy. Hey, what happened to Yakov Smirnoff? Oh, yeah, I think he's firmly lodged in Branson, Missouri. Branson, last Missouri, night. that's right. Yeah. I, I looked up Branson, Missouri a couple of weeks ago just to see if they still had celebrities that had their own regular theaters. And I... And Yakov is the only one that's still left in really? France. I thought right. they I mean, they, 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 they've there. still got a lot of theaters and things like that, but they're all sort of wholesome, family-oriented reviews. You know, like the, the, the legends of rock and roll, and people doing tribute acts, and or, or people doing corny sort of hee-haw routines. But as right. far as actual name star power, most of them have passed away. I mean, the early days of Branson when it was. He says it, you know, it's still popular, but it's definitely down. Yeah, they're all Andy gone. Williams Moon River Theater, Boxcar Willie's Theater. Boxcar Willie's gone. Uh, Ray Stevens, yeah, I think, I, is still alive, but doesn't have a theater yeah. anymore. Right. I heard Yakov on a podcast, and he said that uh, after the Berlin Wall fell, 
it, it like ended his career for a while. He had really nothing that he gives because he was such a one note comedian. Uh, but now with all the, the last couple of years of the, the controversy about Russia being involved in the elections, he's actually kind of had a resurgence. In, in his uh, stuff. So it's interesting how it just basically depends how Russia goes. So does Yakov Smirnov. So. And I, I want to say that Yakov Smirnov was also like adopted a new gimmick of being like uh, almost like a love or marriage uh, advice person with like PBS <laughs> yeah. specials. What? I got to look that up. <laughs> I, I, I think he had say. something like that. He had tried something different. Yeah, that way because he because the the stand up stuff was fading for him. Does Everybody he play sit state down. Yes. He play what state a marriage! <laughs> <laughs> yes, in Russia, marriage therapy chooses you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> He's another guy who played himself, played his character in a movie, Brewster's Millions. When Montgomery Brewster walks out with all that money and. All of a sudden, he has an entourage, needs a car, calls over a cab, and he goes, I'll pay you $20,000 a week to be my cab driver. He goes, I can't believe it. What a country. A man, he plays, he does the total Yakov Smirnoff act for his one scene. And then uh, the Berlin Wall fell. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, let's see. Yeah. I'm looking at Chicago Tribune 2006 headline, Yakov Smirnoff's new act all about spiritual healing. So he's like, I don't know. What is this? Men are from Moscow. Women are from Minsk. I... <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. Scott brought up a wholesome family review. Let me add this uh, person real quick here uh, to the line. I understand this is his new working number. Let's see if this works. How you doing, wrestling fans? It's Sunday, September 1st. You're on the wrestling hot seat. This is Dominic. Who died? (laughs) 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 All right. The 10 bells with this report. David in Baltimore's wife passed away. Oh, no. July 16th, while the hotline was down. That's fucking sad. I hate to hear shit like that. David, she's in heaven, bro. Believe me. Wow. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, God. All right. Let's get Jesus this report my... done. Neurotic, <laughs> thank you very much for the play-by-play and the results from the All Elite. I got them all saved. That's going to be on tomorrow's report. Once I go through the messages and write them up neat, I'll be able to put it on the report. No spoilers, Mike. All right. Today's wrestlers' birthdays. This is really sad because the majority of these guys are great, but they're all deceased. Flyboy Rocco Rock of Public Enemy. Bam Bam Bigelow. And Mad Dog Vishon. Also, Black Gordon Jr., the son of the legendary real Black Gordon, the original partner of Great Goliath. Also, Casey Thunder, Douglas Williams, and celebrities Gloria Estefan, Lily Tomlin, um, let's see, Tim, Tim Hardaway. Barry Gibb, um, let's see, Yvonne DiCarlo, 
All right, Lily Munster. Um, oh, it's also Deuce's birthday. Remember Deuce, Jimmy Snooker Jr. of Deuce and Domino? <laughs> um, actor George Maharis, Dr. Phil, and those are the birthdays for today. I think you should end with the Today in wrestling history. This is a good one. September 1st, 1982. Number one, Paul Jones defeated Jack Briscoe in Charlotte, North Carolina to win the NWA um, Mid-Atlantic title. Tournament match. We got a draw between Bob Backlund and Chris Jericho. So, David, I'm going to need you a tiebreaker. And, yeah, the next match, I'm going to love the next one. But I'm not giving it until I get the tiebreaker. Okay, the other fantasy match. Two guys that will never probably be in WWE again. Ryback and Alberto Del Rio got another draw. So, David, I need you again, bro. Okay. Let's see what I got that I can give you. All right. I think Dominic's had enough this week. He seems like he's really struggling Jesus. to get through his show. By the way, if anyone wants to call Dominic, the number 773-572-6398. The Wrestling Hot Seat for over 20 years. Controversial and birthdays uh, at the same time. But, uh, yeah. Oh, I'm glad we got that feel-good episode out of the way. Boy, that was awful. That was, yeah. Was, Jesus. Yeah, the highlight was Scott playing the honking while he was playing the 10 bell salute. Oh, man. This edition of the hotline brought to you by Prozac. But he's, like, struggling with the birthdays. Like, ah, let me see. Aren't they right in front of him on a piece of paper? Like, why is he struggling? Like, it sounds like he's looking like, ah, where else could there be birthdays on this desk? Ryan, last open your fucking ears. Didn't you hear I started the show that just that everybody's just dying? And so if you have a birthday, you're going to be born. You're going to die. Now let's get to the tournament results. Let's get to the tournament <laughs> results. Oh, this one's really good. Oh, you know, this this one you should feed to the alligators. Just throw them in an island with crocodiles oh, or alligators. <laughs> Well, there it is. For everyone that's been saying, please give Dominic and the Wrestling Hot Seat another chance, that may have been the most depressing edition of the Wrestling Hot Seat we have ever played here on the air. Laughter. Remember that? Remember laughter? (laughs) Remember Mambo Teacher from the Honeymooners? Remember that? By the way, Josh Dunn in in the Mothership group has kind of done a tribute to Dominic. Well, I I don't want to call it that, but he posts the birthdays every day, and he does. I think he writes, "Remember that." And, you know, it's his little tribute. To remember Dominic. him. Remember, remember her. him. <laughs> but anyway, uh, someone save this show. Someone come up with a good topic here. <clears throat> or you know, you don't have to. Or we could just end the show. <laughs> well, or I could announce the show sucks and record another one uh... tomorrow. <laughs> Yeah, I knew it. I knew Man, it's it. a hell of a thing being on the other side of this one. Dan called that I one earlier. <laughs> Mike, what was the, Mike? What was the feedback uh, on your uh, on the observer side about the uh, the NXT show, the Cardiff show? 
Uh, people loved it, and that was uh, the Walter uh, Pete Dunn match. Was the, it's been the biggest thing, and I don't know. I, th- I think a lot of people just saw that and saw the Cesaro match with a uh, Dragon off, and absolutely loved it. And it's just one of those things, you know. People are wondering why Tony Storm, and why a lot of people are just sitting there in NXT UK, which is a completely it's a goddamn dead ass brand. It just it is. It's it's no no fault of anybody other than there's too much stuff out there and they don't feature any of these people. So what can you do? And it's little, and it's a little vacuum. It's fantastic. But outside of that, there's nothing. Might as well be an evolved show. Mm. Yeah. Has anybody, uh, Mike certainly has. Have you guys all seen this Elyon Dragunov? I haven't. (laughs) I, I I know the jury's out on his, on his wrestling ability, but he might actually become a, a a major star based on the fact that he has the most insanely ridiculous facials that I've ever seen. What do you mean? In what way? It has to be seen to be believed. It it goes beyond mugging. It, it's 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 crazy. I don't know. I don't know what. Uh, what he's going for, uh, you know, he comes across as as not a particularly threatening Russian. He might actually be really quite good, but the 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 facial stuff is very distracting. It's it's beyond comical. It's weird, is what it is. Hey, Mike, uh, who's the guy that that was on AEW last night? Waldorf. They did the big uh, debut <laughs> promo video. <for> <laughs> Honestly, I thought it was Brian Cage at first because I thought Cage was going to be there. And I I don't know who the hell that guy is. You know, Wardlow or wherever, the guy who beat up the high school drama kids on the uh, playground. (laughs) 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 Holy shit. Yeah, that uh, they'll have to work on that one. But, yeah, I have no idea who the hell that dude is. They're going to chant his name, Mike Goldberg, one day. Waldorf, the whole building will be (laughs) chanting for him. What was that? How much money did that? cost that little promotional video that's what i'd like to know what was the budget on that crap i'm not expecting an answer i was just speaking out loud sure. what was the okay. budget? i'm looking up who this dragon off guy is i've never seen him and he's all really just a uk i mean progress i think is his his home promotion if i recall correctly but matches with david Starr over there with walter he's had some He's had some, you know, WXW, actually, I think is where he's got, got the most attention over in Germany. All right. I'm going to probably end up watching the entire NXT show, I think, just because I want to balance out whatever I watched yesterday. What were you going to say, Scott? No, just a brief, another question for Mike. Mike, did Sean Spears always wear weird atom bomb uh, uh, no. contact, the contact lenses? I don't know. All of a sudden, he's like the Iceman. I don't know what the hell that was, but it's like, shouldn't the charismalist, you know, devoid of of attention, you know, player Uno, shouldn't he have those in his eyes as Uh, opposed to Sean Spears? We already know what he looks like. And I think, yeah, with the Tully Blanchard stuff, and I know he wants to do something a little bit different than what he was doing in WWE, but like, I don't know if aesthetically that that look worked for him. Now, you know, Brian Alvarez, what's wrong with that? I I, I don't know. I guess nothing, but it didn't really fit. (laughs) That's just kind of like how it stood to me. But, you know, again, there's going to be a lot of that stuff that is going to be taking, I guess, the good with the bad. And one plus was Tully Blanchard. I thought was fantastic. 
you know, the little bit he was there, you could see how some of those guys, you know, stand out a lot better than some of their, their younger counterparts that uh, hopefully that they can get in their ear with. Although some of them, it's probably way too late. Any more questions, Scott, before we hang up on you? <laughs> Actually, guys, I do have to go uh, because I, I have to work tomorrow. So I have to prepare for that. I had to get used to chasing kids on skateboards and, and yelling at trespassers to move. So that's hey, just what I did for a living. Hey, Dan, <laughs> any update on the uh, Dan Farron referee keychain figure? No, I have to get back to that guy on that. Uh, I, I don't understand. I, I, he told me he was busy, uh, very busy getting ready for the, the, the big Lucha thing they had down in San Diego. But uh, he said he, he should have uh, more information after that. But, yeah, I can't. Uh, I'll be more than happy to uh, to get as much information as I can because I have never looked as good as I do as a plushy a keychain. I mean, uh, I I have muscles and, and, and abs and, and breasts and all kinds of stuff on that thing that I don't have in real life. So uh, I definitely need to get a copy of that. So yeah, well, but I want you guys know because yeah, I definitely uh, will offer them uh, to you. Maybe we can work out something to give the money to to a worthy cause. I think that would be very very cool, and uh, I'm sure the fans would really love an action figure of you with muscles and breasts. So uh, let us know yeah, when exactly. you can make this happen. And brown hair. That's how long ago this was Dane. I had brown hair then. So, But I'll definitely let you guys know about that. All right. Well, Dan. And it's, and it's always it's a lot of fun talking to you guys. Always is a, a lot of fun. Always great to have you here on Star Wars or on the 605 Super Podcast. We will have you on again very, very soon. But, Dan, happy Labor Day, and we will talk to you soon. Thanks, guys. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye See you, Dan. Dan. Bye. And there he goes, the late Dan Farron, the man Mike Leno has twice pronounced as dead. Very much alive and very popular here on the Super Podcast. Let's get another topic. I'm trying to see if, if well, I'm going to just tell the listeners, Bob Barnett uh, indicated he was around earlier, but I haven't heard from him since. Won't be around until 630. Uh, all right. Well, I'm going to see about that. What do you guys talk amongst yourselves for a moment? I think we could probably come up with something, possibly, maybe, couldn't we? Mike, Mike, you're in charge. See, that was my way to throw it out there to the rest of the class, because I had uh. nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, I, just, I, will, I will say this. Thank you for letting me come on to these shows, because as you could tell, and I, and I apologize if I'm way too verbose or whatever the, the SAT word would be, uh, I, you know, no dead air on Observer Live, so I try to I apologize if I walk over anybody. But thank you for letting me do this because doing Observer Live and and watching as much of today's modern stuff as I as I have to do, um, I really need this balance very very badly. Thank you because no. it's, it's a very it's a very abusive relationship with this new stuff. <laughs> no, we love having you on the show, and we definitely love to have you on more <laughs> because we have a good time talking about the stuff, and the listeners love having you on. And it must be tough for you because you do have a love for classic wrestling and the majority of your time talking about wrestling is predominantly, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, talking about contemporary wrestling. Yeah. And not even, and not even good contemporary wrestling much of the time because of the nature of that show. It's a lot, it's WWE headline nonsense for the most part, without a whole lot of, you know, delving into anything, not a whole lot. It, it's, it's part sports talk. It's part, it's I, I don't know what it is, it, but it can be, you know, I need to be centered. And that's, you know, I, I always wonder, like, you know, people who have got to keep up with modern stuff because I've known so many people that just go, I'm not watching anymore or I don't care anymore. It's like, 
you know, what keeps you centered, you know, if, for those people that do stick around, because I know you got to refresh, you got to watch your old mid Atlantic tapes or old mid South. It's like, you know, it's interesting to find out from people when they do have to watch this stuff or keep up with it, how they continue to try to remain to stay sane. And, you know, for me, it's going back and at least, you know, listening to shows like this and, and watching as much old stuff as I can to just try to get that old thought out of my head, you know, just to and I take that back, the new thoughts out of my head with the old stuff. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just so like you said earlier, there's so much I used to I couldn't wait when I was a kid until the weekend. You know, Saturday morning, Superstars. Saturday night, TBS. Sunday morning, Wrestling Challenge. Sunday, at the same time, a Wrestling Challenge, USA Network on USA in New York, and then, obviously, TBS Wrestling. Monday night, Primetime Wrestling. And then there was nothing. I mean, then, you know, if you had ESPN, maybe you caught something in the middle of the day. If you had Sports Channel, maybe you had ICW. But that was it. I couldn't wait until the next episode. Now I just don't even want to watch. It makes me just not want to watch. So I don't know. How many times can I keep complaining about how much I don't like things? Well, I'd say I hate to do that too when I'm getting paid to do it. But it's like it's it's part of it's the discourse, and part of it is having to deal with people where everything again is so. If you say one thing nice about AEW, you're on the payroll. If you say one thing nice about WWE, you're this, and it's like it's brutal. Where I mean, I guess in some ways it was always like that. I just I. It, but it wasn't <laughs> at least, you know, most people that I knew again, I didn't, I didn't grow up with newsletters. You know, that was not my base of getting into things. It was the after magazines and, you know, watching all that syndication on TV. And I didn't become jaded till a lot later. And I think, again, that's one of the more tiring things for me. And that's the one thing you don't get much out of when you look back at stuff is a lot of that discourse. People can debate who was the better this or the better that or anything, but like, beating things to death and ripping them apart and shredding them, you know, with malice or, you know, just looking for the negative, you know, it's not there. Whereas that's just the first thing you do too much and too often with so much of today's stuff. Lou, Scott, are you guys both still there? <laughs> yes, I'm still here. I'm yes. sorry. <laughs> I was, I was stunned into silence after you threatened to hang up on me. Oh, no, I would, never, I would never do such a thing. I would never do such a thing. Intentionally. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, when I see what you describe as, as the discourse now, uh, I realize that I did go through, and I still watch wrestling. I still watch current wrestling. Not everything, not all of it. Uh, but um, But there was a time when I was a lot more enthusiastic about what what i was watching and uh, so maybe it's just a, a a thing that everybody goes through that people this is a younger audience now coming up watching whatever it is they like and they're just as enthusiastic as i'm as i might have been at one time and just so <laughs> is it my problem or or is it their problem i haven't seen the, the, this level of uh, of uh of how bad it gets between the, the varying sides. Sometimes you do sit there and go, you know, you can can like all of it if you want, or not like any of it, or just like some of it. I, I don't know this, you know, the current rendition of Beatles versus Stones. You know, you can only like this, and you couldn't possibly like that. That's where the criticism is funny to me because it, because people will make 
almost any kind of excuse for the thing they like, then they'll turn around and bury it when they see it someplace else. Stupid is stupid, no matter yeah. <laughs> no matter who puts it out. <laughs> yeah, very true. You know, and it's uh, yeah, going back to the you know, as sort of almost a, a weekly ritual of trying to catch your, you know, favorite wrestling promotion on TV. And then now it's, you know, we're living in an over-the-top on-demand world uh, that you could just ingest uh, as much as you want. It's a buffet now, uh, as opposed to, you know, uh, I don't know. It's like, yeah, yeah. I, 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 you know, waiting a week for, uh, for world championship wrestling to come on and <laughs> remember and being, uh, legitimately shocked when, when the horsemen, uh, beat the crap out of the road warriors. I remember that. Um, but you know, and it's, uh, there are moments like that. And then, mm, I don't know. It's a, uh, we we the, the the paradigms have shifted, and we have all these indie promotions with uh, players appearing on on several for several promotions, and it's a matter of you know I don't know if it's necessarily a matter of having a a, a good match or having a good working style uh, as much as uh, you know, can I produce a Instagrammable moment, um, and then kind of work the gimmick off of that, seeing how much merch, uh, it can be moved. I don't know. It's, uh, you know, I, I am, uh, yeah, I am, Features I am muttering and stuttering. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you could say that that's, you know, it's just your yeah decontextualizing uh a lot of the uh, a lot of the action and it's just you know it's this spot or that spot or you know <laughs> how how many light tubes can you uh you know hit an artery with uh i don't know did something happen with another guy getting hit with a light tube? Someone sent me some video, and then another guy did it, and another guy tagged Cornette on it. So I said, okay, yeah, something's up, and yeah. I didn't watch it. and I don't have a desire to yeah. watch it, but I didn't watch it at the time. But what happened? It's a, it was a wrestler, I think, named Graver. And um, from what I saw, the the action, I don't know if it was on the, the Game Changer Wrestling yeah, that's where that. I was in, in Chicago. Yeah, G. Raver apparently is dude's name or something like that. But yeah, it was on the Game Changer show. It was a suplex spot off a ladder. It kind of went awry and yeah, <laughs> fell down. And I think his barbed wire was wrapped around his arm, whatever it was, ended up with one hell of a gash that he had to go running out of the building with. And they actually stopped it. Jeez. Yeah. And, and fortunately, there was a hospital across the street. And so somebody... <laughs> You know, somebody uh, uh, snitch tagged, uh, snitch tweeted uh, Corny on that with a with a clip with that particular clip, and you know, Corny gave you know his usual uh, standard uh, hilarious slash withering comment, and then Mister Raver uh, took offense to that and said that 
you know, tweeted back and said that next time he saw him at a convention or something, uh, he was going to spit in Courtney's mouth. Not in his face, but in his mouth. In in his mouth, which I I find just, you know, in in particular, that's a specific type of kink. That is, uh, you know, I remember, uh, I don't know why this reminds me of it, but years ago, 96, I had a hotel room in Philly at the Travel Lodge. Devin Storm room with me that night, and a bunch of people were in a Blue Meanie and Dave Shearer and the whole Wrestling Lariat crew. We're all in my room watching videos, and then we start making phony phone calls. And there was some fan that we called. I forget who it was, but we were all fucking with him. Well, Devin Storm was fucking with him on the phone. And Devin Storm at one point says to him, I'm going to take you by the hair and wipe your ass with my face. <laughs> and, and then it was like, it was hysterical because Devin realized he fucked up what he was trying to say. And he just like stopped and he held the phone away from his face and just looked at it. And then he went right back to it. And uh, yeah, oh. I'm going to take you by the hair and wipe your ass with my face. <laughs> so that's a kink. Mike. Mike and Lou, did he, did either of you ever stay at the uh, Travel Lodge, or as Lou Meany and so many others refer to it, the Cylinder of Sin? <laughs> no. no, sir. Unfortunately, yeah. Oof, I, that that place was a pit. And I read a recent article online somewhere. The place is still open. It has somehow has not been condemned, but it's in such horrible condition that only the absolutely clueless or desperate would would ever even attempt to book a room there. And I think, I don't know how, how tall that building is, but they said everything beyond like the third or fourth floor is, is so completely inhabitable and destroyed and everything below it that they actually will book people into is completely horrifying. <laughs> right. That, the, the, yeah. The elevators really have been out scene. of service for like months. Yeah, yeah, they don't go up beyond the third floor or something like that. Oh. Yeah. That, I stayed there, I think, one night and have been there two or three times. And uh, that was, you know, not in your own plastic to put on the uh, on the mattress before you laid on it. <laughs> I'm going to say yes, but no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it got worse after I, I stayed there. Um, I remember the one time I stayed there, there was literally just nothing to do. And the, the people that I was there were staying elsewhere or whatever. So I wake up at, I don't know what hour. And I just said, well, let me just take the elevator down and see if there's any zombies, you know, wandering out, you know, fans or anybody that I knew wandering around the lobby. Usually there were some, some wrestlers down there, unless they closed the bar, they would be down there just letting the fans, you know, buy them drinks or whatever but um but i take the elevator down and the the door opens on a different floor and a really prominent well-known ecw wrestler is in the hallway physically sitting underneath like a hallway table crying his eyes out <laughs> Whoops. not my floor <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> on, on we go you know <laughs> Very, oh. very, very weird. And that and that's you know, that's one of the nicer stories I've yeah. heard about. <laughs> and if they would go there after a show, they'd be recording the promos in a hotel, so you would catch wrestlers that's all right. coked up throughout the building all night. Oh yeah, completely crazy. One time they had at uh what was 
spectrum. One time the spectrum or one of the big arenas in town had like a motocross show, you know, where they take in truckloads of dirt and they dirt yeah. bike race and motocross races and things like that. And uh, some of the motocross teams were, were uh, at least the crew or whatever, were, were staying at the travel lodge and parked at the travel lodge. And this was the same weekend, I guess, as an ECW show or something like that. And the story was that after like the first night of the motocross or whatever, they had so many bikes stolen out of the travel lodge parking lot that they had to cancel the second night <laughs> of, the, uh, <laughs> of the motocross event. <laughs> and let me see what else. Uh, but that place was, a yeah, my stories are fairly tame, but that place was a legendary pit. Dump. Still is. Yeah, still is a dump. <laughs> I was always like, you know, when I used to think it, like it, be, it became too sleazy for the ECW crew. They <laughs> <laughs> moved to like the Holiday Inn or someplace. Oh. I always remember hearing the stories in, in I guess, it, during the Crockett Cup, it actually happened where they were at the Marriott Inner Harbor or the Omni or wherever they were at the, the Inner Harbor in Baltimore. But like, I would hear the stories about like, you know, we're going to be at the Marriott and it's like, man, one day I'm going to figure out a way I'm going to get to the Marriott and I'm going to party with the horsemen. And then it was like to find out it was like the one by the BWI airport. And it was like, you know, not all that good. And it was like, you know, to, to find out that, to find out about like, you know, some of the women that, that were talked about maybe didn't exactly look like the ones that Ric Flair was presenting no. on TV every week. No, man. <laughs> Ric Flair would every now and then show up on TV with a woman and, I would say eight out of 10 of them were really good looking every now and then it was like, come on, what is this? But I mean, I know who some of the women were that the horsemen were with her in those years. They were definitely several notches down yes. from, you know, the, uh, the models that you would imagine a Ric Flair should or would be with. <laughs> it's the penthouse pet that he had on there. The, the one with all the very pretty girl that he was on there with. And it was just, yes. And then, yeah, to, to see some, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it was a lot more travel lodge uh, wrestling business that I thought than <laughs> than, than yeah. castles and things like that as it was presented. Yeah, that's why DiBiase had it so well. When oh, what a great gimmick! Yeah, yeah. I'm going to make you a million dollar man. You're going to be in a limo and in the best hotel in every town forever. That's it. You're going to ball out everywhere. It was that was what an amazing gig. And I'm going to give you a slave. <laughs> oh, God. I'll call him Virgil. Virgil. <laughs> and if Dusty doesn't like that, I'm going to make Akeem the African dream. Boy, I tell you, there was a, a whole line of them that hurt my feelings as a Mid-South fan that grew up like loving the football and loving wrestling and yeah, the, the tough man, the natural Akeem. Ted DiBiase is a million dollar man. Although, again, as you look back in hindsight, it's like with DiBiase, it's like, well, yeah, that's you know what? I don't blame him. <laughs> You know, you bring that up, and it was really interesting, and uh, I don't know why this made me think of it, but we had the Eddie Gilbert interview on Pro Wrestling Spotlight from 91 recently, the best of 91, best of uh, fall of 91. And you bring up the football. He's like, you know, people all around the country don't want to hear some commentator talking about football in Oklahoma, whatever he said. And it's like, oh, shit. He's saying that, like, you know, Jim Ross, no one wants to hear this shit. So... I did always think Jim Ross it was too much football stuff. Well, that was the, the eight and three ace head on Albert. Like he'd start doing a little bit too much with that. And yeah. <laughs> but 
What did you guys think of, uh, well, I'll ask uh, Scott, what did you think of the commentary last night? It, it was okay. I'm not sure what, uh, if, if it's just in the early stages or if that's Ross's role, but he, he did have this thing where he seemed to be like the grouchy old man and the other guys were just sort of humoring him. Well, I, I think there were times where Jim Ross, in his own way, put his foot down and said, I'm not getting this over. Orange Cassidy being a prime example that happened. <laughs> yeah. Jim Ross said, uh-uh, like this isn't, uh, this isn't my job. I'm going to be Jim Ross. I'm not going to put this over when they pulled out the tennis racket. Uh, yeah. and, and then, oh, you know, Janela who, you know, Jim's living in his head and then Excalibur finally had a chance to say something, which was, you know, something silly, like, you know, Oh, who wants to see a tennis racket in wrestling? Uh, yeah. Jim Ross again, got quiet. You know, yeah. There are moments on that show where you could tell Jim Ross, I'll give him credit. You know, he's he's not completely selling out. He's going to be true to himself and what he likes. So <laughs> that's why I think it's such horseshit that they have him call the those matches like with Janela and everything. It's like he's an old dog and he's not going to want to learn these new tricks. You shouldn't put him in that position. It's not going to get anything else over. It's kind of funny to hear him. You know, not sell it. And then Excalibur jump in. I think Excalibur did that a couple times. He covered for Ross where Ross, I think, slipped naturally. And there were times where he, he just wasn't going to sell it, like you were saying. And I think Excalibur did a great job jumping in there. But how about not put him in those positions? Because it doesn't help anybody. And frankly, with shows running four hours anyway, give him a break and let somebody else go out there and do that that, you know, will be far more enthusiastic about it than than what JR was. Because to me... Again, like he, the most real thing was, and maybe they loved this when, you know, Darby Allen went back first on the barrel into the steps. And it's like, you know, basically, like, what the fuck? If he could have said that, if he was, you know, wasn't, you know, too professional to say that, like, that's what he was, that's what he sounded like he was going to say. So why are you even doing this stuff when you have 90 million announcers anyway? I'm not saying Marvez back out there, no. but let just let Golden, let Golden Boy and Excalibur do it. Well, again, yeah. we need to get away from the three-man announced team uh, in general, but it's going to be even more interesting when it's Shivani and Excalibur and Jim Ross because Shivani, I don't know how up-to-date he is with the current product. I doubt he can call current moves. So then Excalibur is going to be calling the moves. What is Shivani and Ross doing at the same time on commentary? It, it may get very crowded very quickly. But, hey, it's, it's modern wrestling. They're not doing any of the uh, the tropes from the past. Like he was baby faces or hiring yeah. every single person that was in the business from the past. So no, I say my booking idea is to uh, try turning Jr. Heel again, change his name to Statler, Statler and Waldorf. Yeah, you see, <laughs> you see, I think Waldorf that could work. Yeah, did he have a giant yeah. scar on his back? Was that what that was, or was it a tattoo? I couldn't tell. It was dark. I I don't know, but now Jim Ross can just heckle somebody in and then Waldorf can beat him up. That's perfect. See, there should be that feed for the commentary, the heckling feed, where you just have the commentators like just ripping on the show. Or line them up at show anyway, so it makes sense. Uh, They like geek shit anyway. Why not have a MST3K sort of commentary feed? It'll be bigger Uh, than the actual product. More people listen to me and Jim talk about their shows than actually watch their shows. If they had that kind of thing on there, like a mystery science theater type thing where you can watch it and hate watch it at the same time, it would be massive. You'd have more people watching that than the actual feed. 
Second audio programming puts you guys in a room like right next to the sensory room too, so you can like bang on the walls at them a couple times too as you're watching it. <laughs> oh man! Yeah, the, oh, the be... most sensory. What was it? The most sensory aware wrestling company ever. They only tortured a dog. <laughs> Other than that, if you have oh. any sort of issues with sensory issues, don't worry. As long as you're not a canine. Ooh. Oh boy. Owned by one of the executives. <laughs> oh, oh boy. Good lord. Uh, I still I mean, think I'm just... over him traveling with it, the dog as a support animal. That I I can't believe it's that easy. I mean, I know, you know, it's one thing if you're flying private, but if you're flying commercial, I can't believe it's that easy to just I guess I I should. These doctors write scripts for tons of oxycontin. It's that easy to get a prescription <laughs> that says you need your fucking parrot to fly across the country or whatever. Jeez. Maybe he's, hey, look, maybe Cody's had PTSD from, I don't know. I, again, people come up with the stupidest reasons that he get away with stuff. And like something tells me again, maybe talking about the presentation of things when it comes to him, you know, maybe just maybe personality wise, he may figure as if he, that is like, you know, he's entitled to do so. I'm not saying anything about that. Yeah, but maybe, I don't know. Maybe. Based on who his father is, I would believe it's a support animal more if it was a yellow dog. <laughs> oh, yes. Thank you. My, my bad 1991 humor will return next week right here on the Super <laughs> Well, I, as soon as I saw the horse, too, with Adam Page, it's like, again, I guess because I was thinking before the show, it's like, again, you've got nothing to really build this guy. What? other than like Smithfield, Virginia, which nobody has any idea where the hell that is or wherever exactly he's from. It's like, you know, why is he a cowboy? You know, and at least he came out with a horse last night, a la Midnight Rider. It certainly wasn't very Jerry Lawler-ish, but later Rider, maybe. I have to admit something because I'm not a big modern wrestling fan. For a long time, I, I kind of got their names confused. I knew who they were different people, but Adam Page and Adam Cole. And right. The one thing I've realized is I don't get either one of the guys. Like, I understand they have a look and they have long hair and they're in shape, but I just don't get it. <laughs> I don't, I don't understand. Like people are like, Oh, you got to see him. He's great. I don't see any wrestlers anymore. Like MJF I do, but that's not really for in-ring stuff. That's for everything else. Not to put his in-ring down, but they're very, well, I've barely seen him have a match yet. Yeah. He's had like a couple of yeah. like uh multi-person matches. Yeah. But uh, I don't even remember what the fuck I was saying. So who gives a fuck? <laughs> yeah. You no, want to continue the want to continue the Mid Atlantic theme? Just have they should have had Paige uh, trot the horse down, and then out of nowhere, Baby Doll hops on it and jumps the fence. Oh my God! Uh, on the new episode of John Arezzi's Pro Wrestling Spotlight, it's up now for patrons. Uh, the podcast, actually, I guess the day this episode comes out, the podcast will be out too. They have Rock and Robin in studio. And it's really interesting. She's there for a long time. She's in great spirit. She seems like really cool. Like you really end up liking her. There is the awkward moment of the live report that gets called in from battling beauties at the right track in. Uh, You have to hear that. But Sonny Blaze, when he finds out that her brother is Sam Houston and that baby doll was her sister-in-law, gets so excited. He goes, what was in the envelope for Dusty Road? Like, <laughs> 1989, even a year after it happened, people were dying to know what was in that envelope. <laughs> Sunny Blaze got so excited about that, and she didn't know. She had no idea. 
he brought up the, the thing about baby doll on the horse. It was around this time in 80, whatever it was five where 85 yeah. baby doll turned on dusty and you know, the whole the Floyd is way back and <laughs> they got yeah. back. And, <laughs> you know, it was around this time. She made that turn and that was it. It was, you know, Magnum losing the, uh, the, the U.S. title, I think a year later, was around this time. But, yeah, the big thing with Dusty was that yeah, lost wow. baby doll, and, and that was it again. <laughs> yeah, that was, well, that was the baby doll during the 30 days after the bash being Dusty's property. That's, and that's how And that's how she escaped. How about Magnum with the credit cards in Hawaii? What? Oh, God. Like $4,038 <laughs> on this bill? Come on. And like Magnum just sitting there. It was like one of those interviews where Dusty's doing the, the comedy Dusty, but Magnum's still sitting there stern faced with the hands on the hips. Like he would just be doing for, you know, we're going to come kill you promo against the Midnight Express or something. <laughs> what if what if Baby Doll didn't like that kiss when Magnum forces her to kiss him and then eventually, hey, she likes it. She got Tony. She likes it. Yes. You know, you know, if that hadn't happened, if she had been like, you're a rapist, you know, you awful. Like, what would <laughs> When you really oh look back, Magnum really was a, a bad guy. He's beating up Bob Geigel. He's forcing <laughs> women to kiss him. Oh, yeah. He was spanking precious. <laughs> That's yeah. right. That's right. <laughs> and I think about it, Magnum put his hands on a lot of women in the wrestling business in his short period of time. So, bad guy. No, I'm just kidding. I'm sure he's a very nice guy. Uh, yes. We're we're retconning him into heeldom. Yeah. <laughs> It would have been a good heel run when Magnum finally turned heel and he finally got to explode in a few interviews. It would have been great. Yeah, no doubt. It would have been really yeah, good. Can you, well, can you imagine too, if he would have stick stuck around because how it seems to have worked with Barry Windham, like you would never have trusted that you'd be in the same place for too long. So even if Magnum would have lived, you know, how many, you know, what, what were the chances that Barry Windham would have come in and you would have had heel Barry Windham against Magnum or had Barry Windham come in as, you know, Dusty's friend from way back and hey, you were here and, and then you left and now you're back and Magnum could have been cutting in on his action or you know, there's a lot of things you probably could have did with those two down the line. And I know a lot of people were probably bullish or like, I guess, in hindsight, people aren't bullish on Magnum being NWA champion. But, you know, I think for that time, for that fan base, if you would have did it at the right time, it would have been big. You know, it would have been it certainly wouldn't have hurt, you know, especially compared to the reigns of Sting and Luger that they had there. Yeah, I don't know. I know you're not a big Magnum guy. Well, I like him in Mid-South. It's not that I'm not a big Magnum guy, but it's just... He would have played to the base. Now, would that have played the Northeast or anywhere else on a grand scale for a long time? Probably not, especially like when the stings came along. But I think, again, if you would have did it the right, it's because to me, it's like David Von Erich. David Von Erich works great up until a certain cutoff point for me. But then I think of like... Like when we were talking about uh, St. Louis with Mushnick and race, like Flair loses the Missouri title back to to David. And who knows if he would have survived if David would have gotten run with the NWA title. But like it's hard for me to really think about the way the business went, the way the direction things went. David Von Erich being that big of a world champion. Certainly, I can't believe him being a better NWA champion at that, that time to that base than Magnum T.A. was outside of Dallas. Well, you know, speaking of David Von Erich, I just got this. I thought this was interesting. I never heard this before. Uh, it's an issue of Tom Burke's Global Wrestling News Service from February 84, issue number 101. 
And this is a really cool thing Tom did for years, just results and clippings and wrestling news. So this clipping is from February 10th, 1984, Von Erich dies. And the reason I thought this was interesting because it's a nickname I've never heard. For If I said, uh, Mike, what nickname did David Von Erich have? You know, Kerry Von Erich, the modern day warrior. Did David Von Erich have a nickname? Was he the Yellow Rose? I, I, that's I, that's I, really it, right? That's the only one you yeah. can really use. Scott Blue, Yellow Rose of Texas, right? That's, is that it? Yeah, yeah. Well, according to this article, I'm going to read the article, and then I'll come back to the to the nickname because I don't understand how it got here. Wrestler David Von Erich died of acute enteritis, an inflammation of the intestine, an autopsy performed at Tokyo Hospital revealed. Von Erich, 25, a member of the famous wrestling family led by patriarch Fritz Von Erich, was found in his room at the Takanawa Tobu Hotel at 3 a.m. Eastern Time, Friday. Japanese Wrestling Association referee Joe Higuchi said he searched for David Von Erich after he failed to arrive for a match at Karakan Stadium. Quote, David had been complaining of stomach ache and pains, said the elder Von Erich. He had some diarrhea, but he'd go on and wrestle on the tour. We thought it was the flu. He worked hard. He was a good boy, a good man. Von Erich, whose real name was David Atkinson, was on a three-week wrestling tour of Asia. And the nickname they said here at the beginning is Wrestler David the Iron Nail Von Erich. Has anyone heard that before? The Iron Nail? No. Was that just for Japan? The only thing I could think of is like a playoff of like when he debuted or something like the claw and the nail or something. I have no idea. I've never heard that. Uh, yeah. I ne- yeah. Uh, unless it's a reference to his physique. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I don't think it's a Japanese article because it looks like it's from somewhere in the States, but it doesn't actually say where it's from. No, but like a Japanese nickname. Is that was that like one of those things where. Because, I mean, St. Louis, Florida, Dallas, like, where else did he go where he would have picked up a... Nah, you know what? I just did a whole segment with Fumi Saito, and I think I brought up the Von Erichs a few times. I'm pretty sure he would have at one point said, ah, the Iron Nail. Was it, no. Maybe he, it was just supposed to be the Iron Claw, and I, <laughs> I have no idea. Oh, no. So maybe the Iron Nail is uh, the Japanese word for roach clip. They called, <laughs> they called Kerry the Iron Head. I apologize. I apologize to the Von Eric family. I'm a big Kerry Von Eric fan. It doesn't matter. I'm banned anyway. I love them all. And this man, Kevin blocked me. And yeah, I think what it was too, you asked me about like, what was it? I think I had just said something about Fritz because I wasn't sure. I think it was just like, it was too bad. uh, You know, about the, you know, Fritz pushing the the kids. And I think that's what it was. So wherever runs Kevin's Twitter, you know, unfortunately did that to me, which, Made me very unhappy because I had to find out about that that Thai uh, airplane commercial, uh, the one-way flights from Israel through you. <laughs> hey, you there. Hey, you there. <laughs> that sweet, <laughs> sweet banana daiquiri or whatever the hell he said. Oh, banana no. Latte. That's sweet, sweet, banana sweet, sweet banana, banana latte. <laughs> the sweeter than heaven's rainbow. Oh, sweet heaven's rainbows. I'm going to Thailand. <laughs> <laughs> We're Semper Vivi. Your block soy boy. <laughs> I just got barefoot kicked in the nuts. Uh. I once threw an iron saw through a cat. <laughs> they call me the iron saw. <laughs> <laughs> they call me the iron crowbar because that's how I wrestled. 
find out the iron nail. Now I'm dying to know, like, where did this come from? I mean, it's in the paper. Not that that makes it real or anything, but how did it get in the fucking paper? They have a Joe Higuchi mention and a quote from Fritz von Erich. And then the iron, the iron nail. I'm going to say the iron rose. The iron rose of Texas. David, yeah. the iron nail. I wonder if they're all in MLW together. If, if, if when Kevin has been there with his, his sons, if Teddy Hart has been there with his cats, if that's caused some sort of issue or anything there in the land of MLW. <laughs> they're about to get an iron check. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I kid. I kid. I kid. They'll be, they'll be lucky if they get a check. No, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. The USFL antitrust check, eh? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm happy. Um, I'm happy whenever I hear like the Von Erichs or like it's it's one of those wrestling fandom things with me. I still like hold out hope that there would be like Von Erichs and wrestling. I know it's silly, but like it would be nice if there was like Von Erich and people like, oh, well, they don't work. I would like it if they don't work the way everyone else's work. Everyone else works. I can't speak all of a sudden. But like, I just want something different. But that's the thing. I haven't really seen them. Do they wrestle like everyone else? Do they do dives like everyone else? Do they do the same moves like everyone else? I want I them to be like Kevin. You know what I mean? I want them to be like just wild and wrestling their own style like Kevin. Hey, one of them kind of does. I just I haven't seen them in forever. I haven't seen them during this MLW run. The last time was the, the Impact stuff a couple of years ago when they were in, in Dallas. Scott, it seems, no, it just seems that 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 uh, the the two young brothers there as a team has been taking a long time to to get to wherever they're going. <laughs> it just seems like they I heard about them and then years and years passed, and now suddenly they're in the news again. Everyone that I ask, everyone that has seen, and I haven't, has seen them on MLW says they're very very good. Yeah, I, I don't know why it's taken them so long or why they haven't ever latched on to anybody or well, any trainer or anything like that. I mean, other than I probably wouldn't want to leave Hawaii either, but I don't know what the deal is. Especially Kauai. They live in just a beautiful place. That's my favorite place in the whole world. I love Kauai. Um, and I think that's part of it because I don't know. I don't know if the opportunity has been there for them to work like full time with someone like, you know, come to Florida <laughs> and work for NXT. I know they're the Japanese tours, but. To work indie dates, if you're flying out of, if you're out of Kauai, more than likely you're going from Kauai to Honolulu and then flying out of Oahu. So that's a pain in the ass. <laughs> and that's expensive as fuck, too. So that may be the problem. So maybe, they, maybe they're getting a, maybe whoever's using them now is getting a good deal. I don't know. Maybe. Do they, do they wrestle barefoot? I don't know. Uh, one of them does, I think. I can't remember. It's Marshall and Ross, and I I have yeah. to double check, but I believe one actually does do that. Yeah, because again, wow. one is more one is more like Kevin, and I can't remember because I know did did Dave will always bring it up Meltzer when he when he talks about him that yeah I mean it's it's one is more like the father than the other one is. Although I guess they both are very <laughs> Von Eric physical. You know they're not small dudes or they're, they're pretty jacked up dudes. So. Um, you know, they're, I guess they're kind of built more like Carrie, but they smash around like Kevin. There was a whole bunch of guys that were supposed to be this generation of, uh, I was about to say second generation wrestlers, but it's not even that, but you know, the Von Eriks, the two DiBiase brothers, Richie Steamboat. Yeah. So a lot of guys that we thought were going to be like the next batch of guys that it didn't work out, or at least it well, hasn't so far. 
even the ones that weren't gonna like, you know, you figure they wouldn't be big stars, but like they just didn't even laugh. Like Manu, the the one, and then who else? James uh, Snooka's kid, uh, Deuce or whatever it was. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah. they seemed to, there seemed to be a ton of second generations that flowed in and then just flowed right back out again. And it's too, I always thought it was too bad with Ted DiBiase Jr. I thought there was something with him that it just it just didn't work. Well, you know what? He was just like his dad. Go back and watch Mid-South Wrestling from early 82, early 81. He was just like his dad. He was a bland guy who had to figure, and I'm not saying that in a bad way, but he had to figure it out. He had to go out there and work for a couple of years and then develop a personality. Either it was a heel or a baby face. You can watch, go watch DiBiase at the beginning of 82 and the end of 82. Great wrestler, but really didn't exhibit much charisma or personality. And then he turned heel and it was another guy. They turned this guy heel, DiBiase Jr. He was a heel almost right away. And then I never knew what to do with him. He never got into no. a comfortable role, and that's all that's all it needs to kill your career, I guess. He walked away though. He he chose to yeah. leave, right? Yeah, he absolutely. Yeah, he went to do whatever business he was running. He was, you know, cuffed up with his woman, and that 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 was it. You know, he just he didn't need it. He had other and that was like, yeah, I guess like two, and it's I guess a difference in generation of like the Richie Steamboats and guys like that. And granted it was his back too, but like he had something else to fall back on. They all they were all lucky enough seemingly to have other interests there too, which was good, you know, for the most part, because, you know, especially at that time where it was WWE or, you know, what did you have ring of honor, you know, it was going to Japan, but it wasn't exactly the same thing. It was either that or impact. And, <laughs> you know, it's amazing how much things changed, you know, in, in a decade to where we're at now, where it's just an absolute wild West show and a free for all to a certain degree. Yeah. Well, at least we still have wrestling history and that's where we come in and that's what we, Keep doing here. We're going to start wrapping things up in a second. few notes. Episode 100. I've heard from so many of you who've been waiting for it. I've been building it up. It has taken a while. It will probably be the longest episode in show history. And it is taking a little bit of time to put together because there are a lot of parts. We've been uh, redoing a few things for the show. But uh, sit tight. It's going to be really good. I'm also... My contribution, I've been quite the diva. I've <laughs> yeah, well... I I Torn, torn up scripts, sent out, uh, you know, lawsuit uh, uh, threats and things like that. But uh, we'll get it all worked out. We'll get it all worked out very soon. And the good news is a lot of episode 101 and 102 are already recorded. And I got a lot of things in store for everyone. So uh, stay tuned. But episode 100 is, it's a fucking monster. It's a fucking masterpiece. You're going to all dig it. <laughs> and uh, if I say so myself, the Sean Waltman interview, the Michael Hara interview, the George Shire segment, the Fumi segment, the top 10. There's a few other surprise segments in there, in the news, lots of really cool stuff. So stay tuned and thank you. We've had some record months, people just going through the archives and uh, it's always flattering when the numbers keep going up, even though I don't put out a new show. So thank you to everyone who has done that. And we really appreciate everyone continuing to spread the word, wearing the t-shirts, buying the t-shirts. Of course, thank you to everyone. New Arcadian Vanguard shirts are coming very, very soon. But uh, as always, thank you to everyone who has been supporting the Super Podcast. It is a nonstop operation, as Scott knows, as Lou knows, Mike knows a little bit, and we really do appreciate everyone's support. But as we start wrapping up this episode, Scott, you were one of the first people on. Any final thoughts or notes or anything you want to say to the listeners? You diva you of the Super Podcast. <laughs> no, thanks for being so understanding. Thanks for hanging in there. And uh, thanks to you and, and uh, the fellas here for having me on. Always a good time. Superstar producer Lou Kippelman. Of course, the producer of Breaking Kayfabe with Baldrin and Barry, as well as Stick to Wrestling. 
with John McAdam and Sean Goodwin, as well as all the bang-up work he's been doing with Scott Bowden and Kentucky Fried Wrestling. Lou, any words or any final thoughts you have for the listeners here this week? Ah, well, it's a... Hey, I'm just, I'm glad they're, they're with us. They could do you to be with us. It's a solid community. Uh, I'm, I'm one of you. I started as one of you. I continue to do so. Um, and yeah, keep listening. Uh, keep, uh, interacting and yeah, it's going to be fun. I, I can't believe it. I'm coming up on like, uh, almost one year. Uh, with the Arcadian Vanguard family, so it's wow. flown by. That, and, yeah, and I forget now. Did you debut on a Star Wars? It was a Star Wars, right? Or was it well, a regular episode? I, uh, I want to say episode ninety-three, the trivia contest. Oh, okay. That's. I, I wasn't sure if we did the trivia contest on a regular episode or on a Star. For some reason, I thought we may have done it on a Star Wars, but yeah I, th- I think i think it was the opening segment on a on a regular uh 605 so it is it has just been a living at the living on the edge of a lightning bolt so, <laughs> well it's been a great year we, and we continue to tcb yeah well it's been a great year lou and we're certainly looking forward to more years and more fun we could all have and fucking familia just threw the pitch away what an asshole uh mike semper bb <laughs> Mike, you have been such a welcome addition to the Arcadian Vanguard family. We love having you on the Super Podcast. We certainly look forward to more appearances and more stuff we could do with you. Anything you want to say to the listeners here before we wrap things up? Well, first, I'll, I'll ask you, uh, how many games of the Nationals up on you right now? Uh, I think it was four before this game started. Uh, we're tied at two in the, uh, is it the eighth? ESPN sucks. They don't have the graphics up right. I fucking hate ESPN. You just stay the fuck out of the way and let me lose in the first round, okay? <laughs> like like we are wanting to do, okay? <laughs> but you guys wasted uh, Davy Johnson. You're dude. gonna be cursed forever. Should have oh, played Strasburg. Uh, tell me about it. Got uh, all right for another day there. But <laughs> just want to thank <laughs> all you guys uh, on here, people that are listening, and, and everybody part of the community. You know, I, I never want to sound like I'm bitching about. It. I do. I vent here a little bit about modern wrestling and wrestling observer alive and all that sort of stuff. But I'm very lucky to be able to do what I do, and I'm not bitching about the job at all. It's job though, and it's not. It's not my passion. My passion is the same passion that almost all of you have out there. It, it, it's radio and it's old wrestling. It's the stuff that we grew up with. It's the the passion that we all share here. It's why I think you can have on your, you know, anywhere from, you know, uh, Vandal talking about like uh, stripper, transsexual dildo enhanced pro wrestlers that would wrestle in, in Tijuana and, and turn the page and have George Shire talk about the, the greatness of uh, in history coming out of the AWA. And it's just a, it is a great, community to be a part of i am very happy to be here and i hope to continue to do more if everybody will be willing to let me so i just i think it's fantastic and again very thankful for everyone because for me this type of stuff does center me when i do have to deal with so much stuff that is let's just say not necessarily in my wheelhouse as an old man anymore well like i said earlier mike we certainly have loved having you on the shows and we look forward to having you on much much more in the future but as we wrap things up, I want to remind you, stay in touch with the show on Twitter at 605pod. Of course, Facebook, facebook.com slash superpodcast. Uh, we're on Patreon. We're on 
paypal.me slash superpodcast. You want to make a donation to the show. If you want a t-shirt, tinyurl.com slash superpodstore. If you're on Amazon, tinyurl.com slash superpod. Amazon to help this show out with your Amazon purchases. And uh, I don't have anything written down in front of me. I'm doing everything off the top of my head. I think that's just about it. This week, the 605 Super Podcast is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. Happy Labor Day to you in the States. We'll see you next time. Tally-ho!